this week, Amanda Berlin and Lee Brotherston from... What, what does that say? <laughs> Why did you guys put the teleprompter so far away? Dude, where's your glasses? Well, well simple. Our special guest for this evening, our good friend Farah Mavatuna from NetSparker will deliver the technical segment. And in the security news, we're going to talk about stuff. Oh, that stuff I have here and I can actually read it. Um, Ex-NSA director says that we should never hack back. Uh, many are, including Marissa Mayer, are summoned before the Senate for a hearing on the breaches, not just Yahoo breaches, but multiple breaches. Mr. Robot was kind of interesting. There was some name dropping that we'll talk about. And Microsoft DDE attacks. Those are fun. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about that. Uh, no jail time for a botnet creator because he promised to go straight, apparently. I don't know what sexual preference has to do with getting out of jail. Anyway, um, hacking of fingerprint biometric, stealthy PLC uh, hacks, and hackers were hired for a year-long DDoS attack against a former employer. All that and more on this edition of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. I'm, of course, your host, Paul Azadorian. Excited to be here, as always, on Paul's Security Weekly. Hi, and welcome to the show. I totally introduce our host right now, but I've been a total awkward boner. What? We're... Oh, hey! I'm, I'm in the studio with you guys. That's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> sounds like a plan. And we'll at least have one person listening. That's right. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah I, I know. And I appreciate it, and I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed your spooning with Jeff. But, uh, you know. Hey, that's built the new office. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, third baby on the way, so I needed a new office. Nice. I, I, I lost my old office. That's now the baby room. Brought to you by... Has your network been breached? Cyber Reason can help you answer this question. Cyber Reason products hunt for threats within your network and eliminate them in real time. To Cyber Reason, real time means within seconds. Founded by former military hackers who don't play by the rules, they've built this experience into their platform. Harness ingenuity and imagination, not just code, to defeat attackers. Cyber Reason, disrupt the adversary and let the hunt begin. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can Stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on demand worldwide, so there's no need to send staff to off site training. Their team solution provides access to a supervisor portal for full control over your team's training schedule and group analytics. Go to itpro.tv forward slash security weekly and use the code SW30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. To learn more about IT Pro TV's team solution, sign up for a free demo of their supervisor portal. Endgame automates the hunt for both known and never-before-seen adversaries in enterprise networks. Built on unique knowledge on the adversary's tools, techniques, and tactics, Endgame's centrally managed agent prevents, detects, and responds to advanced adversaries in the earliest stages of the kill chain without prior knowledge. Endgame. Automate the hunt. And welcome to the show! But first, let me introduce you to a guy that's jumped naked on the bed with that guy that works with Craig on the Q4 push, Paul Asador. 
Welcome everyone <laughs> to that's my claim to fame, really. Uh, Paul Security Weekly. This is episode five hundred and thirty-six. It is in fact Thursday, November 9th, two thousand and seventeen, and I am excited about the show because there is a lot of exciting things going on with those hosting the show with me. For one, we have someone who's never been in studio for a show ever. And has hosted Ever. lots of shows with us. To my left, there is none other than Mr. Michael Santarcangelo. It's exciting it's to be here. It's weird. With us. It's so cool. And it's and it's not, it doesn't even look like Santa Claus in a can of Jello. No, I yeah, know. no Jello. Santa it's like, no Jello. Oh, it's totally. It's not as awkward as I thought it was going to be. No, this you know? is comfortable. It's only because I'm, he's not sitting on your lap. I'm, I, yeah. I showered just so we're clear. It's good with soap. I use soap. It's soap. So we're okay <laughs> in lots of places. You've got boys. You have to ask. <laughs> Maybe they're not old enough. <laughs> Did you take a shower? Yes. Did you remember to use soap? soap. <sighs> Did you go back? Go, go, back. go back. See, I don't have that problem. I have a ten-year-old girl. Go shower. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like forty-five minutes. Yeah. Like, have you the, washed your the, hair yet? The like, hot water. Must no. Be done. <laughs> no. We have we have a fifty-gallon hot water tank because we have a hot tub. So no, but, that's good. Yeah. Mr. Larry Pesci is here. I am with it's, us. It's been a couple of weeks. You're it's in the weeks. the evil crime lord chair. Tonight, yes, yes. Nice. And and I will apologize that I do not get to drink my drink with my pinkies out tonight because well, so you got some kind of injury going on. Yeah, there. this is the karate injury from a month ago. Oh, still mm. healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That works out for you. Uh, <laughs> eventually, <laughs> I mean, it makes it makes it hard to do the stranger because <sighs> yeah, you can't can't show me your wonderful hand gestures. Uh-huh. Well, when I mean, I give you the thumbs up, but. <laughs> <laughs> on the lines via Skype. I, I'm so excited. The triumphant return of none other than Mr. Jeff Mann. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, well, Jeff's here, too. Jeff, welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> well, because they're on the same Skype machine, so I couldn't introduce them. I have to. Jeff is here. Jeff, it's wonderful to have you. You've been on Skype and in studio, and you're awesome. So. Yes, and here. and Kevin has been not here for way too long because he's just giggling like a, a schoolgirl. Kev- not Kevin is actually so here with us. It. He is here with us. Not Kevin. Um, it's so nice to have you back. Well, thanks for thanks for allowing me to come back after my my sabbatical on the internet. I heard you were uh, kidnapped by ninjas. Apparently, yeah, uh, clown ninjas twice. 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 In between there, you, you joined a cult or something. I, yeah, cult of uh, cult of good Wi-Fi. <laughs> Damn, tell me more. I know, huh? <laughs> tell me more. Oh boy, I subscribed. I'll subscribe to your newsletter. <sighs> oh, you'll get a no, no, no matter if you subscribe or not. <laughs> I miss, I miss Kevin's quick wittedness. It's nice to have you back. Uh, make sure. You do two things for us. Subscribe to our mailing list at securityweekly.com forward slash insider. You can get all the exclusive updates, all of your awesome invites to all of the awesome webcasts that we do. And we've got some special things that I think we're going to pull off next year. It's been a good week of planning. Yeah. I mean, so the webcast program, like there wasn't a whole lot of like John Strand and I were just like, we're going to do webcasts. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. We're going to do webcasts. And we did a lot of webcasts. And then people are like, wow, can we get a little less email about webcasts? <laughs> and we're like, you know, we should probably do some planning. So if you're subscribed, there, there is a plan to not uh, oversubscribe people. But I do thank everyone who's, who's been joining. It was an awesome webcast we did today uh, with Doug White and Jonathan. Yeah, Sander. that was a that was. Want to learn about file systems. 
That's yeah. the webcast for you. And be nice. entertained, right? Edutainment. And it's edutainment, it, it for was sure. packed, and it was fun to listen to. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. So, uh, And then you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe, because the other thing we do here is like we have lots of other shows, such as Startup Security Weekly, that uh, Michael and I uh, co-host together. Well, mostly Michael hosts. I just show up and, and have fun and <laughs> talk shit. Really. The other way. It's kind of what I do. Uh, Michael does all the hard work of prepping for that show and uh, talking to startups and, and, and bring them on the show, which is great. Uh, we've got Enterprise Security Weekly with John Strand and myself. Secure Digital Life with Doug White. I mean, it's a blast. I, how do you how do you put into words the Doug the Doctor Doug White like his? Well, it was great because I got to meet Doug today because yeah. he was on that webcast. And what I loved was it's the same Doug White you see on Secure Digital oh, Life. Yeah, I mean, just a few more swears in real he, life. He's taller. Yeah, he's and, taller. and I'm probably shorter than people expect. Um, but. Uh, He's on his way out, and we got talking about artificial intelligence, and like an hour later, he's like, oh, yeah. I guess I probably got to go now. So I almost got him on the program tonight to be here with us. You're close. You're close. Try harder next time. I'm trying. Hack Naked News. So all of those, you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. Subscribe to all of our shows. There's more new shows being created. You'll hear more about them. Okay. Now, on to our feature interview for the program. Amanda Berlin is here. She's a senior security analyst at... Networks Group, co-host of Breaking Down Security Podcast, who is it's my favorite podcast when when Amanda's on, and uh, has been and uh, no no disrespect to the others on the show, I just like it when Amanda's on the on the program. Uh, she's been an IT professional for over thirteen years. She spent over a decade in different areas of technology and sectors, providing infrastructure support, triage, and design. She is the co-author of. The Defensive Security Handbook, Best Practices for Securing Infrastructure. And we'll, we'll introduce the lead next. But Amanda, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How's it going? That was like the best intro I've ever had. Oh, that's, that's very <laughs> flattering. Thank you. you. Want, Paul uh, yeah. can travel with you if you want. That's right. I could yeah, wherever you yeah. go. I, I, I would like to have somebody, you know, just introduce me every time I walk into a room. You know, that's that's my goal in life. Garcon, Garcon come introduce me. You just get that, like, <laughs> get that video clip on your phone and just be like, hey, here's who I am. And it can just be me talking. It's cool. Uh, Lee, Perfect. <laughs> Lee Brotherston is a security specialist at... What, what? I can't read that. Is it Wealth Simple? <laughs> yes, it is. Is that a shower curtain behind you? Yes, it is. Okay, just checking. Uh, <laughs> Lee, has, Lee has worked within information security for over a decade. In that time, he has. Oh, I, can pro- I can hear the production guys in the back room roaring. <laughs> He's hanging out in the back because, because they know. Our set isn't much better. <laughs> Our set is exquisite. Well, I have a story about the, the shower curtain well, set. What, it's cool. what this means it, is he's sitting on the commode. It could be. Uh, <laughs> Lee has held uh, positions uh, in the bathroom, as well as ranging from hands-on <laughs> practitioner through management with an overall responsibility for information security in multiple organizations. He's spoken on topics ranging from malware analyst to network security and surveillance. Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I just I'm waiting for like someone to like peek out and be like, "Hey, can you grab me a towel?" <laughs> <laughs> we we at one time did have a set that uh, it was actually curtains, but people thought they were shower curtains, and we just kind of went with it. It's the shower curtain set. It was for our cigar podcast uh, where we had to go to my workshop, which had like all tools hanging up and stuff. So to, to cover that up, I put up essentially shower curtains. So, dude, I, I'm I'm right there with you. It's cool. yeah. This, except this one really is a shower curtain. That's right. It's actually a shower behind there, which is kind of nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, 
So I, I, I want to go back to Amanda for a moment. Amanda, I, I want to ask you and Lee both the same question. Uh, you can go first. Uh, alphabetically, your first name is first. Let's just say that's the, the reason. Ladies first, <laughs> your gentlemen. Ladies first, that too. Uh, Amanda, how did you get your start in information security? Oh, gosh, it's a, uh, it's a, I mean, I, I think it's a start that a lot of people have. You know, I started in the help desk. Um, I had planned on going into the Marines and uh, was one of those teen pregnancies gone wrong. So <laughs> I, sk- I skipped the Marines, um, went in, I, I decided, you know, I'm really good at computers, so I'll go ahead and go to college for that. Worked my way through help desk at ISPs, at healthcare. Um, started studying, uh, for like Microsoft and Cisco certifications and then security just kind of fell into my lap when I was doing, you know, sysadmin and netadmin stuff. And then I just started focusing on that the last four years or so. What was your first certification? A plus. Okay. Yeah. And is that where you, if somebody came to you now, they're in high school, they're interested. Where would you tell them to start? No, hold on, back up. I'm sorry. Don't talk about certifications, because the way Amanda got started is how I recommend that people get started. And you said it. You started at the help desk, learning how stuff works, right? And it, it, that's the best way, I think, to start is, is help point. desk and like sysadmin stuff. Mm-hmm. You just understand how, how everything works and uh, that not everything... Not not every security solution that's out there can be implemented in enterprises. That kind well, of and you stuff. have to learn so, how to talk to people, too. And, and yes. if they're calling the help desk, it's not always like, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Everything's working perfect. I can't wait to talk to you. They're not typically happy when they're calling you. Right, right. And working help desk at a hospital, you're always dealing with doctors, which uh, lots of type A personalities. Yes. So you really have to learn how to handle them. Yeah, my, my other one on the doctor side was uh, 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 working help desk with lawyers. And uh, also working help desk with higher educators. Mm. And the best part was when you had lawyers who are higher educators. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Those were <laughs> almost, almost as bad as doctors. Uh, Lee, uh, how did you get your start in information security? Uh, it's not completely different. Um, I did the usual go to school, go to university route, and then got a job at a local ISP. And uh, it was a tech support slash sysadmin slash network guy. Uh, and exactly like you said, spent time on the phone, spent time debugging Cisco, spent time messing around with desktops and whatever. And then uh, turned out to have an aptitude for security and kind of fell into it from there. And when it, with, uh, I'm of the vintage where there weren't really infosec degrees so much. So uh, uh, that wasn't really a route in at that time. You know, when you say aptitude, one of the things I've always found fascinating is that uh, I've often described, we don't see the world the same way. So when you say right. aptitude, like how would you explain the aptitude? <laughs> That's a command in Debian that I run to update packages. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's things like naturally thinking, oh, this thinking through how something works and how you might abuse that or make it act in a way that it shouldn't. And I think not everybody thinks that way. It's like um, people that look at locks and think, oh, there's a way to break into that or look at um, business processes and there may be a way to circumvent it or laws or whatever. And this is the technology equivalent. You look at how things function and think I may be able to make it work in a way it was not intended. And uh, yeah, I did that and it transpired to work out. Was that a natural mindset for you? And when you were you surprised when other people don't think that way 
Um, I think it's fairly natural. I mean, I played with computers a lot as a kid, um, and there was a lot of trying to work out how things worked from the point of view of uh, just trying to get stuff to work. Uh, you know, back when you were cobbling machines together from like computer fairs and whatever, and then maybe semi-legit software you're trying to get to run properly and that kind of thing. Um, and then when you're in the workplace, uh, people have been very much sort of conditioned that this is the way you do a thing and 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 that's it. Um, and I think that security people generally have a, but what if I try this? What if I try that? Let's see what that does kind of attitude and, and you know, sort of notice that you can affect things in different ways. Now, I want, I want to ask you both, uh, Amanda, and Lee, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the book in a little more detail, but at, at some point you collected experiences that led you both to co-author a book on that you titled The Defensive Security Handbook. So what experiences in your career were the most helpful or influential that eventually led up to you writing the book? Um, definitely time and time again, walking to, walking into um, an enterprise that everything was broken and everything was on fire um, and working through, uh, you know, creating a more stable and more secure environment over and over again. <laughs> nice. Lee, how about for yep. yourself? Uh, for me, I think it was a combination of two things. I did a, I did do a period of time where I was consulting, uh, and I've also been like the first security person in uh, in a company. Uh, and one of the working titles that I had on the book uh, was uh, "Surprise! You've inherited a security department," <laughs> which I, which uh, I really didn't go for. But um, yeah, it's the a lot of companies seem to get the oh, we've got to this size and perhaps we should do a security and uh and then they sort of stop there and go wait how do we do that and that was kind of the thinking was that the book would fill that what do we do next kind of gap wow i wish i i wish yeah, i had that book when i yep. started at, similarly like you're the security person right i i got the book i got the pamphlet of poof now you're a manager yeah <laughs> hey you got a pamphlet <laughs> i did that's I pretty, had to find on the internet myself that's though. Pretty, pretty high tech <laughs> how did you guys meet to to right, I mean, writing a book is not an easy task by yourself with a partner. Uh -oh. So, did you guys know each other beforehand, and was this one of your crazy ideas, or how, tell us how you guys got together to write the book? Um, I think we both had the idea at around the same time because our publisher actually introduced us to each other. Okay. We we were writing for probably three or four months before we actually met in person. That's wow. awesome! Wow, you you were writing a book and you met your co-author in person. Wow, right. it was like, it was like yeah. I mean, we, two we or Skyped and three stuff, hours but... before we met in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy. Uh, so um, when I look at the title, uh, well, so where I wanted to start actually was uh, a little bit of marketing about the book because somehow you've convinced uh, most security people on Facebook to hold this book up and take a picture. And I want to know how you, from a social engineering perspective, were able to do that because I think it's marketing genius. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no idea why people started doing it, but I, I, uh, I got this book, you know, because because you're writing the book and you know it doesn't seem super real. Um, you know, it's it's all online. We're we're writing it in O'Reilly's, you know, custom, horribly written writing app, and. Um, you know, I, I finally get this box of books and it becomes a little bit surreal. So I just took a picture of myself holding up the book mm. and it just kind of snowballed from there and everybody started doing it. And it was the best marketing ever. 
That's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Like I, I, I actually don't have a copy of the. I'm gonna purchase one. Don't send me one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna purchase one and and put a picture up on. Yeah, and uh, not, not Kevin. Not Kevin just got up from his desk, so I suspect he's going to get, he's his going copy to get of a copy book of it. Yeah, yes. as well. So uh, he's stealing it from like a coworker or something. <laughs> so we'll have to we'll have to pan he's back to them the a note. Skype it's not call. Kevin. It's not. Yeah, we'll have to pan back. I don't to know. Call for I don't know who took the book, but it's sure. not Kevin. And, and going back to like the the beginning of my security career, uh, I think Kevin actually taught one of the first security classes I ever took. Wow! Look at that. We come full circle. Yep. Um. So. What what types of when I see defensive security handbook, like I'm like, wow, you guys bit off a lot, right? Like, there's a lot. <laughs> you a lot of places you could go. Uh, I've thought myself like what a handbook would look like, um, and just deemed it like I'm like I, I don't know, I don't know if I could do that. But you you folks were ambitious and and did that. So what what are some of the foundational elements? I mean, obviously it's not hey go buy all these security solutions and hey you know you're you're secure, right? <laughs> I guess that would be more like a cookbook rather than a handbook. Uh, but given it's a handbook, there are what, what are the foundational elements? Um, I think the main thing we did was we broke it down into the main areas. So there's 21 chapters, and each chapter covers a high-level area. So there's one that's policies, one that's vulnerability management, one that's patching, um, that kind of thing. Um, so they don't deep dive any of them. You won't be a subject matter expert in vuln management because you know it's a chapter but it should give enough of a flavor for people to realize if it's uh something they want to do and if they should go and read further on a topic uh, so they're all kind of standalone in that sense um and we've tried to give recommendations of what to do but like you said it's not all blinky box stuff so we haven't gone and recommended a bunch of commercial solutions there are a number of open source and free items available and we've given suggestions on the sort of criteria you might want to look at but we haven't prescribed this is what your security program looks like it's more you should think about vuln management you should have uh active directory configured you should patch unix boxes etc etc and so it sounds like i mean you guys have a lot of experience so it sounds too like when you're writing a handbook like this you're not trying to write it for the handbook for 2017 maybe it'll apply in 2018 so did you have to go back and forth and, and really think about your collective experience to say, these are things that we've come across pretty much consistently for the last decade, and we can see them being challenges for the future? Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, taking um, vuln management and patching for a second, uh, I worked as a consultant, and part of that was doing instant response. And the number of incidents that are simply like terrible configuration and patching um, I think that a lot of people focus a lot on worrying about all the zero days and all the blinky boxes. And if they just got the basics nailed, I think a lot of organizations would be way better. And that's kind of the approach we were taking. Uh, go ahead, Michael. Nope. Your turn. No, no. I, I, okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll comment then. I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I think maybe nowadays the, uh, the barrier for that, that the basics maybe has increased a little bit, uh, but still not all that much. I still think the basics are there. Well, and what I like about it, right, and I, I think I've said this on the show and I've certainly chatted about this with you guys, if somebody says the basics, I always go, what do you mean? But what I like is you've you've taken the time to distill that. So right. it, at least now we got a list, you know, and, and 21 yeah. chapters, that, that might be a lot. But if you're thrust into that position and you're trying to figure out which way is up, it sounds like a really good starting point for somebody to read it, get their head wrapped around it, and then figure out where to go. That 
That's there was so much. That's something a lot of that. us would have liked. There was so much innuendo <laughs> in that. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of thrusting and make sure you're going the right way and head. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all for there was There was a lot of thrusting. <laughs> Whew, um, I'm all sweaty now. <laughs> but you feel good, right? <laughs> I, do. I mean, what's not to feel good about? <laughs> well, my job here is done. Of, of those 21 topics, um, which ones are, are most difficult for people to, to grasp and, and actually implement? Uh, my top one is asset management, hands down. Mm, that's a good one. I've I've never seen it done correctly. Hmm. I've heard I've heard of people doing it correctly. I've just never seen it done correctly. But on an internet, right? So there's unicorns. Yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, Lee. How about for you? Um, what's hardest? I don't. I honestly, I think um, I think just having patching sorted is still seems to be ridiculously hard for people i think recent news would bear that out uh well i think you know having patches to apply is is uh, important too (laughs) well that yeah yeah. (laughs) well so on the on the on the same topic i always find when you write you learn there and there's always some surprise Mm -hmm. what was the biggest surprise and we'll say from a subject matter perspective so you set out you had outlines you worked back and forth you're you're writing and a lot of times you you make a connection you didn't have prior. You come up with a new, a new insight. What were the insights that each of you took out of writing this book? That that at the end you went, oh, that's more important, less important. I don't know what what uh, what bubbled up in the process of of creating this handbook. Oh gosh, um, I want to say I probably learned probably learned the most doing um, the compliance and and <laughs> um, uh, framework chapter. Uh, I just didn't, I didn't realize all the little nuances and, and the other small, uh, compliance, uh, standards that were out there, like, uh, uh, FERPA and, and that kind of stuff that a lot of people need to worry about that. I I never had a thought, I I never had to think about, I was always concentrated on PCI and HIPAA. But wait, it says it's the defensive security handbook, not the defensive compliance handbook. Aren't those two separate... (laughs) Separate things? There's only one chapter on compliance, though. Oh, okay. That's good. And, and it's just kind of explaining them. It, it was one of the one of the most difficult ones to write, I, I think. Bet. I bet. Nobody likes PCI. Nobody likes compliance. Well, no. No, no, no. There are, there, are people, there are people that like PCI. Jeff? That's true. I was, I was, that's exactly <laughs> what went through my head. <laughs> and Jeff, we love you. And we make sure we to uh, put a... Like, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, we made sure to put emphasis that, you know, in, in the beginning of that chapter, that you shouldn't focus on it, which everybody always says, right? <laughs> we're we're going to write about compliance, by the way. Here's the first rule. Don't, you can don't go ahead and ignore so, it. Don't focus on security. So I have a question. Yes. Yeah, I'm shocked. We finally got Jeff in the engagement. <laughs> yeah. It took you a while, Jeff. You all right? Didn't, well, Jeff, you have a question and a sort of visual comment, yes? I, I do have sort of a visual comment. <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone's got the book except for you, Paul. Uh, my question is: uh, outside of compliance, PCI or otherwise, what are, in your experience, from having talked to people that have bought the book, read the book, using the book, what are the drivers that you're seeing companies have for actually doing security? It's a, either one of you. 
I actually think that varies a little bit based on uh, industry vertical and the maturity of the companies. So um, some companies are in a position of trust. So especially those dealing with finance or something like that. So I think their driver is demonstrating trust uh, to their customers, that the customers can trust them to look after their information, uh, manage assets appropriately and all that sort of thing. Uh, some companies just don't want the brand reputation of a big breach. And I think some of them just honestly feel the pressure that they need to do security and they don't necessarily have a motivator other than they should be doing something. Is the content of the book, is that geared towards a particular size organization or are there elements in the book that provide advice, no matter if it's a, a small business all the way up to a large enterprise? I think it covers most sizes. I would say it's probably tailored slightly more to smaller um, organizations because the target sort of reader is someone who is IT literate but maybe not security literate yet or is uh, junior in security and looking to um, take on a big task like bringing a security uh, a security practice sort of up and running in an organization um, whereas I think a larger uh, enterprise is more likely to have people that already have the skill set you would hope. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they have the organization because as I've been as I've been listening and and thinking some of this through. So you had 21 chapters. Are, are they prioritized? Yeah. Should somebody start at the beginning and read their way through? Should they flip through and pick out the pieces that like, oh, I've got to deal with this? Like when you, I, I suspect there's a way people will use it. But when you wrote it, what was right. the intention for how to use this? Um, we we wrote them that they should all be standalone. Um, so you can can read in any order but we have grouped them in sort of simple foundational stuff first moving to more advanced technical and you know once you've got the foundations nailed later on so it's roughly in a chronological ish order as to how you would approach it you mentioned you use some uh open source tools um which ones are are most applicable uh to larger enterprises self-serving enough because i'm Potentially working on a talk on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, asking for so, a friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm asking so, for a friend. Uh, I think prime examples were uh, we uh, talked about Snort when we were talking about IDS. Um, I'll admit a bunch of the commercial solutions are based on it, but we talked about the open source version. Um, I was talking about uh, Nessus, which again, there's a there's um, the commercial versions, but there was Nessus and sort of generic stuff like Nmap, and the and um, I forgot the name of it. Open the uh, other, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Nessus. I feel, is I feel open, dirty. I feel dirty saying that. Yeah, Just, open open Vas. Open Vas. What? Open Vas. Yeah. Vas. Got it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, we mentioned a bunch of those, and I think uh, they may not be. Um, what a large enterprise wants necessarily, but they're still applicable. They can still be used. Amanda, which chapters did you focus on and and did you talk about uh, specific tools in your chapters? Oh, uh, sometimes I can't remember which ones I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I know that Um, feeling. But uh, two of the ones that I'd like to recommend, um, one is NetDisco, which is a... Oh, kind of like a asset management for your switching environment. Hmm. And the other one's open audit just for keeping track of endpoints. Hmm. I learned about two tools I've never heard of before. 
does Open Audit does that run as an endpoint agent? No, okay. it just uses uh, WMI. Oh, interesting. Do you find a lot of enterprises are using open source tools? Um, half and half, I think. Uh, if they have the budget, they usually go and buy something more expensive. Um, but uh, you know, for smaller tasks, I think a, a lot of times they use open source or you know free alternatives, whatever. You know, one of the things that I see, and I'm curious if you guys see it too, is a lot of times you pointed out they may or may not have the budget. Sometimes what I see people do too is they're trying to get the budget. So they'll start mm. with something open source, they keep the scope tight, and then they come back and say, yep. wow, look at what we're able to do. By the way, I couldn't do this, this, or this, but this tool will do it, and now you could show somebody some results. Do you tend to find the same things? I would, I would also argue that um, very much you do the open source type stuff, and you have a wider scope. But look at what we could do. Oh, and then yeah. management comes and says, well, great. When it breaks, who do we call for support? Well, the internet, of course. So some of those things. Right. right. I, I, I recommend it a lot. I don't know that I see a lot of people actually doing it in practice. Um, one, of the, one of the tools that I don't think people use enough, at least in Windows environment, are uh, group policy. You know, there's, there's so much you can do security related with group policy that people just ignore. Yeah, and so many exposures that nobody configures group policy to not have an actual directory. So why do they ignore it? I mean, when we when we advance stuff like this and we find that people are ignoring it, is it because it's too complicated because they don't understand it or because they're just simply unaware of it? Both. I think a lot of the times they're just unaware of it. I also think there's a skills gap in terms of understanding Active Directory well enough to be able to configure it so that it is not inherently insecure. I, and I would also add on to that. I think there's also a, a gap in folks knowing their environment to know how to mm. configure group policy, not to break point. something. That's a good point. And how many different group policy objects and all that stuff that they should have. I worked in an organization many years ago that said we will be and we will only be a single GPO uh, oh my God. organization. <laughs> Meaning they had one group policy project that pro- process and object that applied to every device in the organization. Yikes! That because why? Sounds they, horrible. They had one guy to be able to manage it, and that was across a multi-node DIS. I mean, and to Amanda's point too, I think there's a lot of Active Directory administrators that are like, "What? What's Mimikatz again?" <laughs> like, well, dude, like, come on! I, I don't like cats. I can never finish yeah. a whole one. There's, <laughs> Yeah, there's issues. And we co- we cover a little bit of purple teaming in there too. We have a chapter on that that kind of uh, goes over using set and Mimi cats and nmap that kind of stuff. Just kind of dip their toe in the water for doing offensive internally. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What's um in, in your experience and in, in having seen many organizations? What are some of the advantages of having some commercial tools to solve some of these problems? Like, what's the what's the driver, and how do you know when? to implement a commercial tool to solve a problem and when to either solve it natively with the environment like Active Directory we're talking about or implement some open source or free solution? Who's up this time? <laughs> All right, Lee. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to fall asleep over Amanda there. Has, has graciously allowed you to go first for oh. this, for this <laughs> question. Which Perfect. is how, and I'll give you some more time to think about it by repeating it. 
when I'm faced with the decision, I've got these 21, 21 things. Um, yeah. I have to solve uh, essentially 21 problems, probably multiple problems within there. How do I know when to go get a commercial tool versus adopt some open source solution versus use the native architecture or infrastructure, live off the land as, as attackers do in order to solve the problem? Uh, how, how do I make those? What advice do you have for people to make those decisions? Um, I think there's a few areas. Um, one is budget, because that can instantly kill the option of commercial before you even start. Um, so uh, how much, yeah, the budget. Um, someone already mentioned it, but a lot of organizations, I think, uh, just want to have something that they can plug in now, have support and not need to worry about. Uh, and that often means they can go get going uh, without having to think about it too much. Um, Open source stuff is great, but there's sometimes a lead time because someone needs to develop it. Uh, you know, they might need to extend what's already there, um, develop some front ends, modify things to work with an environment, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's uh, you sort of have a requirement on the skill set of the people in-house to be able to run something, build something, operate something um, along with the budget. And then finally, there's the feature set. So there are just some things that you can only get in commercial tools. So if you require something that's only available in the commercial versions of something or a commercial only something, then it's probably the best way to go. You know, I just I want to underscore a point or I guess yeah. amplify the point. It's, <laughs> it's that capabilities. You're, I think that is so often overlooked because, because to your point, we'll look at the features and or we'll look at the budget. But if you don't have the capabilities to make that work the way you want to, then that's your limiting factor. And, right. and either you have to solve for that uh, or let it go and move to what, what you can do uh, with the skill sets that you currently have available to you. I, I think it's a really important point. And the reason I bring that up is because we look at a lot lately of insecurity. We're good sometimes at coming up with the strategy. Right? If you give me a whiteboard and I have no limitations, I'll tell you exactly how it should be. But that's not the world in which we operate. <laughs> and, no. And the, the, if you look into a lot of the, the leadership research in the, in the literature now, the biggest mistake people make is they've got a really good strategy, maybe even a complex strategy, no way to implement it, and that comes down to capabilities. I think if you can have a pretty honest look at the capabilities that you, your team have, or the resources you have, whether it's, it's interns or open source support or support contracts or whatever else, I think that might be a really good thing to focus on uh, that's often overlooked. I think it's important to uh, differentiate between capability and, and, and resources because they, they relate to each other. In other words, I, I, in my assessment of many of the commercial products on the market today is that while they do, in certain circumstances, provide extra capability, oftentimes I could create or recreate that same capability using open source tools using what's available to me in, in yeah. the architecture. But the time and resources it would take me to do that and maintain it is uh, enormous. No, you're, no, yeah, you're on. And just in case I, I'm not clear, it, capabilities means exactly that, right? It's the capabilities of the team, the skill sets. So do, yeah, do, I'm sorry. Do, so do I, do separate I have, features from capabilities. Yeah, yeah, but you can look at capabilities overall. And so that's a great point. Can I get this different capability by using this open source tool versus a commercial tool versus some hybrid model. But then also you have to look at, do I know how to operate it? Do, do I know how to put it into my environment? You know, any tool we use, even the commercial tool, it's going to take time. You've got to learn how to use it. You've got to learn how to act with it. And then, so, you know, that's the, the risk to, when we talk about starting with open source, there's a learning curve. 
So if you let that go too long, the cost of, of transitioning to something else gets higher. But so if true. I may I think, interject, I think people ignore that uh, question too. Hold on, Amanda, and then and then Jeff. Sorry. Uh, I think people ignore that question, or they're not as honest as they should be with that question uh, on their their own capability or their team's capability, and that's what happens when they buy a bunch of blinky boxes that just you know yeah sit plugged in on a shelf. It's kind of funny, right? Because we're a pessimistic bunch, but we're really optimistic when Amanda, it comes to what we can do. Amanda, then Jeff. Your mic. I'm, yes. I thought I was then. <laughs> He's in Damn it, I got my name wrong. I was then. <laughs> Jeff, you're the floor. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. He's acting very presidential. Come I'm, on now. I'm sorry, Jeff. Sorry. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little confused with the direction of, uh, of the last uh, thread here. Um, I get the difference between sort of capabilities and resources, but what are we suggesting if, if we don't have the capabilities or the resources? Because I think you can make that argument whether it's a, an open source tool or, or if it's a commercial tool. Um, but I, I almost hear like, well, it's better to do nothing than to do something. Is that what we're saying, or are we saying buy something if you don't have the capability to automate and hope for the best? Uh, you hire, know, wh- hire an MMS. Where's this? Hire an MMS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the way I was going with that was that um, if you don't have strong, say, dev and sysadmin capabilities in house, then the time it takes you to take that effective, what you're thinking is a free open source product, to something you can use could actually end up costing more than just buying an off-the-shelf something um, because the amount of time you burn in headcount who are having to develop tools or um, or work with them ineffectively or whatever else. Uh, whereas if you can just go and buy a product that just works, has a support contract, comes with a consultant or whatever, um, it may actually work out cheaper. I, I, I think that uh, we haven't talked about a very important point, and that is the organization's ability to define goals for their security program right. that are very much fundamentally based on, well, what am I trying to protect? How much is it worth? Um, then developing security goals based on that, and then buying Lee and Amanda's book and developing a strategy <laughs> and making decisions based, based from there. But hey, I that's, think, that's, the, that's the first chapter is, is uh, building a security program. So, yeah. you know, you, you don't even have to start creating it yet. You use the word goals a lot, I hope. Yes. That's yes. good. That's good. So uh, prioritizing. You can, ju- now you can just buy the book. That's that's good. I like it. It's the first line <laughs> item, right? Everybody should have that as the line item in their budget. Let me just answer uh, Jeff's query though too, because I think it's a key point. I'm using it as a sorting function. So so capabilities is actually a, a lens of value. And if you're doing something that's increasing your capabilities, that's a really good choice. So if you're faced with I can't do everything, then taking on something where you lack capabilities is probably not your best choice. Or you have to go source for those capabilities. So definitely, I'm not a... You know, it's funny. I would say I'm not a proponent of doing nothing over doing something, except for sometimes doing something will make it a lot worse. So I guess I'm a favor of bias for action, following the guidance of the book. But if you have to choose, I, I like capabilities as a sorting factor. Wow, so many buzzwords for this podcast. It felt good, right? <laughs> I don't really it do kinda buzzwords, hurt, it kinda so I was hurt trying. A little, but it kind of hurt a little bit only the but, first time. But though. then you settle in. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I bet you are today. <laughs> Heard a little, and then you settled in, and then now you're good. And I'm not going to move. I, I wish yeah, it's an inside joke. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little outside it's too. A little outside. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the studio, Michael. Good lord! <laughs> wow, I can't. 
can't oh even. I, can't I, just even. Lost, I just lost it a little bit. I just, I just, I lost, I lost. I'm back now. I'm back now, though. I don't even blush normally, and I'm pretty sure I'm blushing uh, right now. Oh, boy. Now you kind of look like that. You blend into the chair. Yeah, uh, I'm fitting in. Top and bottom. There's... An in, it's an inside joke. No, your shoes, it's, it's, dude. It's, it's, shoes. It's, just, it's an inside joke. That's what they're talking <laughs> it's about. It's a little outside. In case too. you're trying to decipher it, 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 if you can decipher the puzzle, then congratulations, you'll, you'll be rewarded with with <laughs> laughter. At Michael's with pictures. Expense, you'll be, re- you'll be yeah. rewarded with pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Since we're, we're pretty off the rails, I have, I have an off-topic question. Go for it, now, Kevin. I've I've read a lot of O'Reilly books over over my time, and I've always wondered: Do you get to choose the animal on the cover? Great question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah, that's one of the most popular questions we get. So uh, <laughs> Lee and I were actually going back and forth uh, for several weeks trying to decide what animal to use, and I think we took a little bit too long. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> so so they just sent us uh, uh, the porcupine, and we're like, all right, I guess. <laughs> Was honey badger taken? You couldn't be the honey badger. Yeah, yeah. So their rules are: um, you can't reuse an animal, uh, and it has to be real. Like, can't be a unicorn or anything. And no, no. What do you mean? You mean unicorns aren't real? I'm telling you. Yeah, Man, this is this is down. rough. I can't and, handle and, this. All right, O'Reilly book, cockroach. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait, does it? Is that an animal? Is That's it an, an animal or an insect? Can it be an yeah, insect? That but, yeah, that oh, counts. Yeah, I had a wasp in one of them. So yep. yeah, yep. All right. So that said, you guys got the porcupine, but what were your two top choices? I mean, because obviously, I'm assuming there was some difference why you took some so long. Yeah, my my top choice, and I can never remember the name of it, but it's the little fish in the Amazon that will swim up your pee stream. Oh yeah, I've heard wow. about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> ah, to the Google. I don't know. To the Google. I'm gonna have to open a incognito window for that. I think. <laughs> Yeah, Google that. It's the, it's the it's the little fish in the Amazon. Lee, I'm dying, been, I'm dying to hear your choice now. <laughs> uh, I've been pushing for narwhal. In lieu of unicorn, we might as well go for sea unicorns, but no, apparently we can't have that. Oh, I thought the narwhal had been used. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was why I didn't know. Is it the kendiru? Yes, that. Yeah, is the the fish that swims up your pee hole? Wow. <laughs> yep. This is this is an adult show. You can say urethra, <laughs> <laughs> and we can keep our Except PG thirteen. He rating. never knew what it was called. <laughs> no. But but I'm actually reading from the Wikipedia article, and it says up your pee hole. No, no I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Someone just, no, well, you if put that does because Larry just edited it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Check the reveal the history on that one. It wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you, are you both ready to play five questions with Security Weekly? Sure. Is anybody ever really ready? No. It just, you're never prepared. I, pre- I prepped. Oh. Lee, did you prep for the five questions? It's sort of. I thought about it a little bit. Okay. Well, that's, I, I have you know, more than some. Um, so you know how this works when there's, when there's two people that have to play five questions. I arbitrarily pick one person to start, uh, and then I ask them the oh, first question. Okay. And then I ask the same question to the other person. And then that person gets to answer the next question, and then I, I switch back. It, it'll flow naturally. It'll, it'll flow once we start. Paul will lead you through so, the process. Uh, <laughs> Lee is in the, the, the preview window there, so I'll start with Lee to make it easier on our production team switching. You're welcome. Lee, <laughs> three words to describe yourself. Uh, curmudgeon in training. Amanda? Um, impulsive. Uh, 
uh, organized and energetic. Amanda, if you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Poison, definitely. I don't like messes. <laughs> Lee, your weapon of choice <laughs> if you were a serial killer. Well, given the shower curtain behind me, I'm going to go with Dexter's kill bag. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> Lee, if you nice. wrote a book about yourself, not necessarily security, but a book about yourself, what would the title be? I can't go with Defensive Security Handbook. That's you can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't use the That's same animal, about you. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda. Uh, the book title? The book title, um, yes. Surprise, I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, in the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? I'm a chick, obviously first. <laughs> Lee? Uh, second, because I am not an Ask Grabby Grabby thought leader. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Lee, now choose two celebrities to be your parents. Alive, dead, fictional or otherwise. Uh, oh, I didn't even think of that. Okay. Uh, oh, you didn't Alex prepare Trebek. for this question. <laughs> Alex Trebek from... Uh, um, Jeopardy and Susan Sarandon because I couldn't think of a good reason but they seem like an odd pairing. Amanda? I saw her in an airport once. Um, Did you? Yeah. Uh, Betty White. Betty White. Wow. Nice. Did she say Betty White? She did say Betty White. Betty, Betty White. White. Excellent choice. It's funny though. And uh, Dwayne Johnson. Wow. Wow. Interesting pair. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a really cool Damn. pair. And then you say, but they'd have to create. Okay, yep, we're good. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm that- Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> Amanda and Lee, thank you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. Um, you can find the book on uh, Amazon. And uh, I'll read back the uh, exact title Defensive Security Handbook Best Practices for Securing Infrastructure. The Don't one by that the, book. The one with the porcupine. The one with the porcupine. And uh, Amanda is a co-host on the Breaking Down Security podcast, so make sure you go listen to that. And Lee, do you have anything that you want to plug? People can follow you on Twitter or do a blog or podcast or... Same thing uh, for Amanda. Uh, I'm Synac, terrible for speaking <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter, uh, or squarelemon.com. That's got my blog. Thank you. Squ- Amanda. And I'm Info Sister. Uh, I-N-F-O-S-Y-S-T-I-R. Excellent. Thank you both. And Amanda's also the one that's running the uh, the Hacker Secret Santa this year. Yes? I am. Oh, I'm so what? excited oh, so about hold that. Hold on. Tell us about Hacker Secret Santa. Well, do we have a, a minute or so? Uh, so I guess this is the third year I've done it. It's only the second one I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> there, was um, drugs, there was drugs involved in the first one, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, so it's just something I run where um, I take you know, anybody's information that wants to give it to me. Credit card, uh, the CVV number. Right, right. And I just swap people. And this year we're up to like 140 people over 14 countries. Wow. And is there a a dollar limit? Uh, 25. 25. That's awesome. Is there a website people go to to sign up for this or... Uh, I tweeted out a Google form link. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then we use the hashtag hacker Santa. So if okay. you can, you can look at last year. Some of them were really, really, uh, inventive. You know, one was like a mini CTF in a Pelican case. Nice. Um, another was like two pounds of bacon. <laughs> nice. I saw yeah, a good gift, which was what, uh, a duffel bag with $500,000 in fake money. 
<laughs> yep. And uh, and yep. Uh, Amanda, I just I just heard about this new book that I recommended that Paul get for his boys, which was what Penis Pokey. Oh, you uh, saw that? Yeah, this is that's a great book. Oh, that was one of the secret the secret Santa. Well, no, no, this is like ideas for next year. No. Oh, this oh, year, this, this year, this year, yeah, yeah Christmas, the, the penis, this year. The penis pokey book. I mean, like, that, that's it's brilliant. like fifteen bucks, definitely worth it. <laughs> you get ten dollars for something else too. That's I mean. right. <laughs> you could get some penis pokey accessories to go with it. <laughs> okay. Hey, on that note, Amanda and Lee, thank you again for appearing on tonight's program, and uh, everyone, go buy their book. So. With that, Thanks, we guys. Take, thank you very much. With that, we can take a short break. Come back and do something else. I think it's a technical segment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll be back with something. Logarithm's Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns in application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. The SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security certification training and research. Visit SANS.org to explore their full curriculum and latest training offerings. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, Paul's Security Weekly. Oh, I have an announcement, I think. Uh, itpro.tv forward slash security weekly. Use the code SW30. Try it free for seven days. Receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. <clears throat> Michael, you and I were talking about IT Pro TV uh, earlier on some various shows. I find we talk about them a lot. I, we I, do. It's one of those things that I'm excited about. Like it's um, all the time. I mean, well, there's always new content. I know that um, Josh Marpet and Scott Lyons are working on content. Those of you that listen to the show may uh, know them. Yeah, and you know, one of the things we talked and about... And for that, I'm sorry, uh, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we talked about with uh, Tim on uh, one of the recent startup episodes was they're branching out too, and they're going to include business-level content. So yes. how do you make the case for something? How do you get the budget? And I, I don't know exactly all the stuff that they have in there, but um, we're taking a look at it. What's always impressed me about it is they it's not just for certifications. So what they'll say is, there's a lot of stuff happening in security today. Do you want to stay abreast of it? Okay, we'll bring people in and they'll talk. And what they've started now is, is they have red team stuff and they have blue team stuff. So a lot like we were just talking with our guests, mm. if you want to kind of get your toes into parts of what's going on or understand enough about it, there's that opportunity. And I, I think a lot of security teams would be really well served to listen to some of these opinions because I, I think too, you know, we've talked to them, high quality content, produced on a regular basis. And, and when you look at somebody who's able to bring you high quality, but within 24 to 36 hours of, of being able to record it, mm. that's, a, that's a pretty impressive resource. Yeah, the platform is pretty impressive. So make sure you check them out. Uh, Sven from NetSparker is here with us today to do a technical segment on the content security policies. Sven, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello. How are you? I am wonderful. Sven, we always love it when you come on. You are a, a web app security ninja. 
Uh, and I love it when you shed light on a lot of these uh, uh, kind of not esoteric, but these issues that, I mean, unless you're really deep into web application security, I mean, they kind of fly under the radar. Um, so I'm glad that we're bringing those to light in the show and in the content security policy, uh, I think kind of falls in that, in that realm. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think you, content security policies are a very powerful tool if you apply it correctly. Um, the problem is that, um, that it's not that easy and some things, some pitfalls are not that obvious. Um, so you have to be a little bit careful, but if you apply it correctly, you can do a lot of great things with it. Mm. Sorry. So what is the content security policy? Um, it's an HTTP security header. I prepared the pr- uh, presentation. I can uh, show you if you That'd um, be fantastic. if you want. I will share my screen now. Um, I'm prepared to have my mind blown because last time Sven was on, go. he blew my mind. Yes, I'm <laughs> telling you. He's getting good, uh, he's yeah. good at that. I, th- I think it was Larry who did, who did the cat joke today again. And I, I thought we, we uh, said that we won't talk about cats anymore <laughs> yeah, on the no. show. Because it's a very emotional topic. I think after this uh, after this show, we can also add um, Amazon fish to that list. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Of, of topics. Fish and cats, they kind of go together, though. <laughs> they do. They do. And Chinese food. Okay. So, um, yeah, I have, to, I have uh, called the the presentation content security policy the last line of your cross-site scripting defense. And before I will um, talk about the header a little bit more, I will actually um, talk about why uh, why we need that header. So I would say preventing cross-site scripting is hard, and not all uh, all the people would agree to that. Uh, some would say it's enough to just encode everything to HTML entities. Now um, that isn't working for everything. For example, in um, yeah, in in the in anchor tags in href, you can still write this, and it will be executed. So you have still an XSS vulnerability. Um, then you could think that you can at least use HTML entities and script blocks. Uh, the problem is that um, the functions who convert to HTML entities often don't put the single quote into consideration. So you have to uh, be careful in doing that. Um, now, you could, you could also think that you can just use URL encoding for everything. Um, the problem is that browsers won't decode it for you. So if you have percent %3c, which is the same as uh, the, char- uh, the character you see here, um, the, the browsers won't decode it. You would just see percent uh, %3c. So that doesn't work either. And if you think you could just block every single dangerous keyword, then you should uh, watch Security Weekly number 526. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good idea to do that. So you probably know of know all of that you you know how to how to prevent xss in the different contexts but mistakes can happen so you can try to consistently apply your knowledge you can try to encode every single bit of user controllable output you can sanitize your data depending on the context but the problem is that you must be aware of every single pitfall in your programming language as i said above um as i said before i mean you must be aware of obscure edge cases, some some flash stuff that's not immediately obvious and, and all that stuff. And you must never forget to apply your sanitization function. 
Of course, you also uh, have to think about um, the required parameters, for example, to encode the single quotes. And if you forget uh, one of those things just once, you end up having an XSS vulnerability. And and you might think that 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 shouldn't happen very often with seasoned developers, but the truth is that it even happens to the best. So um, Google, a company that spends obscene amounts of money on security, re uh, receives reports about XSS vulnerabilities on a regular basis. And it's, it's just because you can't catch everything. The same goes for Twitter, for example. Now there's where the content security policy comes into play. Um, it's uh, it's short, um, CSP is short for content security policy. And the short answer is that it's another HTTP security header. The long answer is that it's an HTTP response header called uh, content security policy. And it has many different directives that define where content is allowed to be loaded from, what kind of content is allowed to be loaded from, uh, what what kind of content is allowed to be loaded, and uh, most importantly, in which context scripts can be executed. So there are different kind of, uh, kinds of source expressions. I will go into detail um, about them later, but uh, here are a few of them. For example, if you um, use none, then nothing is allowed. You can load nothing, and uh, self is just from the same origin. Um, then a link like uh, like this, HTTPS example.com, um, allows only resources from example.com to be loaded. And uh, most importantly, even Firefox supports it. So how may a CSP header look like? And this is an example. So you, you actually already see that it's a little bit confusing. So we'll go into, into detail about, about the different components. Uh, the first one is just the name of the header content security policy. And after that, there, um, there actually policies, uh, policy follows. For example, um, default SSRC, it's used as a fallback for some missing directives. If you don't specify everything, um, most of the directives will fall back to default SSRC. Um, and none blocks everything by default. So script SSC is very interesting for us because we can use it to actually control where scripts are allowed to be loaded from. And um, self, again, um, allows the inclusion of scripts from the same origin. And HTTPSExample.com allows uh, script inclusions from there. So you actually see um, already that you can write um, different, uh, different source expressions uh, behind that in, in one line. And yeah, so how does this prevent XSS, you might, might ask? Um, it does so by whitelisting origins and context. Um, and there are different ways to restrict uh, script execution. You can do, do it in line with uh, nonces. Those are random, yeah, random strings that you, um, that you have in your header and in your script tag. And um, they allow you to only load um, the inline scripts where the nonce is defined. And an attacker can't know the nonce. It's like uh, similar to CSRF protection um, from, from the concept. Then, of course, you can also uh, use hashes. You can uh, generate a hash from your script, uh, from the content of your script log, and um, only those hashes, my, um, only the scripts that 
yeah, that um, hash to the value that you specified are allowed to be loaded. Then there's unsafe inline, and there we have one of the first mistakes you can happen. Unsafe inline um, will will be uh, yeah. I will talk about that a little bit later too. So, so uh, Sven, I'm sorry. So uh, it, this is really only for. Uh, reflective cross-site scripting, right? Where I'm the attacker and the source would be my client trying to execute a script. Uh, But if I'm able to manipulate the application and put code inside of it that gets executed within the application, that that source, potentially the nonce in the hashes would match as well, correct? Um, Well, the the hash, uh, that depends, I think. Um, um, for example, the the hash wouldn't match if you change anything in the script log. Oh, That's okay. Kind, I got kind you. of the point of that. Yep. And um, even stored XSS can be um, yeah can be prevented uh, with with um, with CSP. So you um, can can also restrict where external scripts are allowed to be loaded from. For example, with uh, self. HTTPS and data, and you see the red ones um, are like unsafe keywords um, that you sh- you shouldn't really use. So um, you can also use HTTPS example.com. We had that before. And you can also use um, like uh, this, this Wildcat uh, character for subdomains. So any subdomain of example.com uh, would be allowed to yeah, be, be included um, every script in there. So what can go wrong? There's, Nothing. They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Never mind. Sven's on talking about it, so clearly lots of things can go wrong. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so um, a common mistake is unsafe keywords. And depending on the context, there are words that should be avoided. For example, unsafe evil, unsafe inline HTTPS and data. They are quite deadly for every CSP policy most of the time because they defeat the whole purpose of CSP in most cases. For example, script SSC self unsafe inline. And you can bypass that just with script alert one script um, because it just kind of uh, disables the, the rest of the, the, rest of the um, policy. And um, then you have script SSC self data then you can bypass it like this. Okay, so um, it's it's not really about very clever bypasses. It's just about what you allow to, uh, what you allow the attacker to do, basically, where, where content is allowed to be loaded from. Uh, what can go wrong? Number two, um, relying on default SOC. It's a good way to avoid mistakes, but not um, every directive will be... Um, will be caught by default SRC if you omit it. For example, um, if you have default SRC self, you can still um, inject like this, a form um, that sends your password somewhere else. That, that requires a lot, of, a lot of code, though, and typically you're restricted as to the amount of data that you can inject, correct? Yeah, that, that is, that is kind of true. I mean, it depends on where the, where the injection is and if there's even a length limit. Like you can, you would probably do this with most uh, get-based uh, XSS. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that big of a problem, but it's very obvious in the URL. And of course, we have common mistake number three, wrong use of nonces. And you like with everything cryptography related, you can 
do a lot of stuff just plainly wrong. And uh, first of all, the nonce must be a random string. It must not be re uh, reused, and it should be sufficiently long. So we, I have a, an example about bad nonces. For example, request one and request two are the same. Then a very, very short nonce. And um, yeah, and um, this one looks very good at the first look. It's, uh, it's long enough, actually. Um, 128 bits. But uh, the problem is that it's just the MD5 of 235. So it's, it's kind of like uh, pointless to use it. And often the uh, best security features are the hardest to get right. And I just uh, <laughs> shed a little tear right now when I think of HPKP because I really liked it and now it's gone. It's, it's a shame. But anyway, uh, let's, let's uh, continue. Some other common mistakes are the syntax. If you miss single quotes, it means some directives won't work. And this can be a problem in certain um, circumstances. Meter tags. And uh, some direct, uh, directives are not allowed to be set in them. And that is a problem as well if you rely on meter tags. For example, I think um, you can't uh, set a report URI with them. Then uh, you're going to have... Uh, have a bad time because no um, CSP report will ever arrive because it just doesn't work. And uh, you can also use unsupported algorithms. Only um, SHA-256, um, 384, and 512 are allowed to be used in, um, in hashes. And I will um, show you a demo of some of these um, of, of, of how CSP works, basically. I've prepared a little uh, test page for this. Uh, you can see here the... I, I hope it's big enough. Okay. Um, you can see here different um, different uh, directives, default SSC, script SSC, and so on. And if I type it here, it will be applied to this test page over here. Right? Uh, so we, we also have a hash generator to show how, how to use the hash. And we can also add additional content to the um, yeah to to the page and we can also see CSP reports so what I first want to do is set the default SSC to none to show you how that might look like okay so it's pretty ugly like nothing is allowed to be loaded you you can't you don't have any um, scripts or anything. Um, no, no images, just nothing is allowed to be loaded. It's pretty ugly, and therefore it's very secure, but um, I think nobody would visit your website anymore. So um, what's, what's way better is to set the default SSE to self. So everything works again, but now if I would um, try to... This is just a reflected XSS. If I would try to inject my own um, my own script, it would be refused. It doesn't work. It just that's only allowed to um, load load uh, scripts from the same domain. Right, and that, but that's going to break things. Like if you've got any kind of uh, Google Ads or Google Analytics, uh, which are very popular to have in your site, that would break that essentially. Exactly. I I don't know if they are CSP. Um, like if if you can use them with CSP, I guess you can. Um, the, you you would see a lot of um, 
a lot of Google URLs in the CSP uh, directors mm. on the popular website. Right. So um, ju just to show you what you could do is uh, script.sc uh, script.js script add content and uh, I hope it worked. Let me check. Oh yeah. So um, I don't know if you see it but it says local script. So a local script executed. It's on the same it's on the same domain. Now, but that is probably not really the like the reality of most sites. In most sites, you have just really ugly script blocks with a lot of a lot of stuff in there. So um, let's do this again. Local script, add content, and um, now you see where the problem is because a lot of sites just have these inline script blocks. And you can't you can, you can't have both. You can't block the attacker script block and uh, and your own script blocks at this um, uh, and don't block your own script blocks. It it just the the browser can't different um, you know you know can't distinguish between uh, the two. So um, what what you actually can do then is uh, as a self and then. Um, Use your nonce, and then it's just a random value. And what you would do here is type in nonce, and then just the same nonce values as before, right? So if we try it this time, it just works because we have the same uh, random value. It's it's here, this one, and. Um, yeah, this, this works, but the attacker script is uh, still blocked. So let's just check um, an unsafe or just just um, no security policy at all. If, if we would scan it with Netsparker, um, we would see that it just wants you that there's not a content security policy implemented, which is obviously bad. Now, um, as I said before, you have probably these... Um, these script blocks here, and you ca you can have a very very good content security policy like here yourself um, script SSC self, and then just only allow, for example, https example.com, and um, maybe all the subdomains as well, and. There you have a problem, okay? Um, you you can still not, um, you know, you can still not execute your inline script, and a lot of developers will just like um, they will just not uh, they will go crazy basically. So they they uh, they see this stuff works, all the external scripts work, but the local scripts don't. And uh, what what they will just do is they do this unsafe inline, and they say, "Oh well, it, it works. It works great. Now my script works. Everything is fine." But also the attacker uh, scripts work too. <laughs> so you have all your great um, all your great directives um, and and did everything correctly, but then you have an unsafe inline and ruin the whole thing. So if we would quickly scan this again. Ain't nothing safe about unsafe inline. <laughs> yeah. It's a great t-shirt, Larry. So, um, Netsberger would also, um, also tell you that you're doing something wrong. For example, 
the unsafe content security um, directive, content, uh, content security policy directive. So it's it's very handy. You can, you can do, uh, do a lot wrong, and uh, it's just a great way to check it. Great. Now I um now to see what you can also do except of uh, nonsense because yeah there sometimes by possible they were by possible in the past while using svg and and um, animations and stuff it's it's a little bit complicated but it was a very cool trick i won't show this today because it doesn't work with modern browsers anymore but i can quickly show you how such a hash works so we have this here alert local script i don't know if i did that already and then you just generate the sash here. Okay. And um, what do you what do you do again here is using self uh, here, self here. And um, this time SHA256, I think, was it? And yeah, so it works again. So it's it's pretty pretty handy to to prevent all of that. Um, all of the attacker control stuff, but, but I think you, you want to see some some cool bypasses again. <laughs> so I, I just I just uh, show you one very common one that can be abused. If you have that on, um, if you have a um, something like this on your on your local uh, domain or any whitelist domain, actually, if you have something like this, it looks very innocent at first so it's just uh, some some json but what you can actually do is using a callback parameter and then you see, see it's just um, actually json p or json with padding now what this would do is um, if you define your function asd and then um, include this here you, the this um, this object would actually be passed to ASD, to the function, and you could do anything what you want cross-domain. But um, what you can also do, that since this is some whitelisted script, actually, on the same uh, on the same origin or on a bypass, uh, on a whitelisted origin, is you can write your um, write your payload like this, then you go there. Let's just make this here self. And um, this doesn't work anymore. But if you were an attacker and would then include script SOC, and then this um, this uh, JSONP endpoint, you can actually bypass that. So you should be really careful about those JSONP endpoints. You should really take a look at the whitelisted um, domains that you have, and um, yeah, that um, and that they don't contain such unsafe um, unsafe endpoints. Now, um, what I can also quickly show you is uh, CSP reports. They are quite uh, quite useful actually, if you. Uh, type here report.php and then have this here you will actually receive a CSP report that looks like this <clears throat> so you can see everything what, what happened and, and which line it happened 
um, and wh why why it was blocked. So it's it's very handy to actually confirm that your script directive is working correctly, and you can also um, very early detect um, people that try to abuse an existing XSS vulnerability that just doesn't work due to uh, CSP. Oh, so Sven, how did you get that CSV report? Okay, um, that that's actually one of the directives here. It's um, the report URA directive, and you can just oh, okay. um, just type in report PHP. It will just um, the, this page you will catch. The, oh, I see. Okay, so you you dump that report to a page in the in the directive for the CSV policy. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that's just some JSON that I. Um, that I stored and then retrieved on this page again. Gotcha. But you can store it actually in a database and mm -hmm. uh, write yourself some code that notifies you if a CSP report is sent and therefore if... Right, and you um, only make it available on the back end and not in the front end application, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's awesome. Okay, um, that's about it, I think. Do you, do you have any uh, any questions? Questions, folks? Uh, questions from the audience? Right. My mind is blown continuously by Sven. That's right. <laughs> Everyone that does web app pen test, take note. Take yeah, note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last time Sven was on, we were watching. I was literally texting to our guys, like, why aren't you watching this? Yes, you should be watching this. <laughs> yes, and I would always, awesome. also argue the same for, for this one. Absolutely. Well, Sven, thank you so much. Uh, Sven works at Ednet's Barker. Uh, you should definitely check them out for your web app scanning needs uh, for sure. Uh, and we love it when Sven comes on and, and, and drops knowledge with us as he's done consistently, and, and this is no exception. So, Sven, thank you again. Thank you very much. Without taking a short break, come back, talk about the security news for this week. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Cryptography is all about secret keys that need high-quality entropy to be truly random. NetRandom from Whitewood Security delivers pure quantum entropy on demand across the entire data center and out to the cloud. Think NTP, but for quantum entropy. Inoculate your applications from making weak crypto keys all without having to change a line of code. Visit GetNetRandom.com to learn how you can take control of your entropy supply and ensure crypto security today. Signal Sciences is the industry's first web protection platform that works in any cloud, any container, any platform as a service, and any modern application architecture. The Signal Sciences web protection platform can be deployed in next-generation WAF, RASP, or reverse proxy modes, giving customers ultimate flexibility and coverage. Protect your web applications with Signal Sciences web protection platform. Signal Sciences, protecting applications, connecting teams. For more information, check them out at signalsciences.com forward slash PSW. Onapsis is the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsis.com. The average time between being hacked and realizing you've been hacked is one year. Can you afford to let an intruder roam your network for that long? Can your company weather the fallout when this comes to light? Black Hills Information Security can find the bad guys in your network and train you to do it yourself. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a hunt teaming engagement can help you find a persistent threat in your network. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul Security Weekly. I wanted to tell everyone about a webcast that we're doing with Onapsis November 16th from 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, Seba, who is their research uh, lead research uh, person for Onapsis. Uh, get this. Onapsis found, I want to say the number is like 20, around 20, in just October alone. Uh, Saban and his team found 20 vulnerabilities that span across both SAP 
and Oracle, uh, I call it business critical applications. Yeah. And I know it sounds like a boring title, like securing business critical applications, but really the whole gist of this is Sabe is going to be in studio and I'm going to ask him a lot of questions like, so dude, like your research team was really busy, <laughs> like get into the details and some of the flaws and then talk about like, so you're finding these major flaws. What's that like? How are you reporting them? Uh, so do some of the higher level aspects, but also dig in with him and say, uh, what are the impacts? How is it? How is it executed? Why aren't some of these things fixed? He found some SQL or his team and himself found some SQL injection vulnerabilities. And I'm like, I feel like we don't see a lot of those SQL injection vulnerabilities anymore, uh, or, or at least not as many. I think the same thing with cross site scripting. They kind of fall in that class where people are starting to figure some of that stuff out. Starting to. But here we have these really mission-critical applications, yeah. e-business suite, and there's uh, that's the one from Oracle, right? And there's this, these like heinous SQL injection vulnerabilities. And I'm like, that's... It's going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, securityweekly.com forward slash Onapsis. Please go register for that. Um, it's going to be an awesome conversation. Uh, whether you're looking into the security of SAP and Oracle applications, or you're like, hey, we have those, and I'm a security person, and like I've never really been able to... Yeah, what no one we, like, what really lets me in on this is kind of where, where I see a lot of people fitting. Like, yeah, no one lets us test those because they're business critical. Um, and so Anapsis has all the, the good stuff. They get a great a great product uh, for doing that. Yeah, and what that also means is that if you watch that webinar, you're going to get an understanding of conversations you can go have, right? A lot of times security feels like it's yeah. always reactive. And so webcasts like this, content like that, you can listen and you say, whoa, that is business critical. I, I have to deal with that. Now you've got some insights. I think the trick, mm-hmm. of course, is is going to be how do you go explain that explain to somebody that, else? Yeah, without, explain the impact. You know, yeah, but by being able to look at that and being able to look at the fact that it's business critical, you then get that opportunity. I, that's so I, you know I think too a lot of times people need to listen with that intent to say I should regress this against the list that I've got. Oh, I found a couple on here. I need to go have conversations, mm-hmm. and that's your opportunity for those conversations not to be. So I'm here from security again, and I'm, I've got bad news for you. It's to say, hey, this is critical, right? I just got some insight. Let's make sure we're working together right. to keep you protected. You do that. That's, that's a pretty compelling shift. Yeah. So I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and now we're going to talk about the security news. I really want to start with this Microsoft uh, DDE Attack. I want you to tell me more about this because I, so, I didn't see this one at all this you, week. As but, a pen tester, Larry, you should be all exactly. You got to be all over this because the frustrating part is. Well, I guess let me back up before I call out Microsoft for being silly. I'll use a nice word. It isn't silly, but it's completely ridiculous why they're not deeming this the way it should be deemed. So basically, have you ever? Um, when you, I used to use applications for office that were installed locally on your machine. I think a lot of it shifted to the cloud, but, uh, if you've got a, a spreadsheet in Microsoft Excel, right. And you worked really hard to, to get that in there. Maybe you created a chart or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. and then you had to write a report that put some text around, like, I got to explain these graphs and stuff that I put in Excel. So you're writing this word document and you're like, well, I really want to put the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I want to link it, put the Excel spreadsheet inside of my Word document. And by the way, I'm still kind of modifying my Excel spreadsheet. So, and then I don't want to have to go re-embed it. Like it just automatically happens. Like that Excel data just magically for the end users and for those of us that haven't looked into the DDE protocol or object linking embedding. Yeah, what we talked leg. about, right? 
It just happens magically. But really, what that is, is a DDE with a dynamic data exchange. It allows applications like that to share data. So you can bring data from Excel into Word, and it just it magically happens. Now, notice when you've done that, it doesn't ask you, hey, do you want to let Excel send me data? No, no, no. Nah. Like, it just happens. It happens. It's easy for the end user. And what the researchers at SensePost figured out was that essentially the DDE component in, in Word could reach out and, and basically execute commands and mm. run, run other information, execute things like PowerShell in the background. And this isn't new. No, I don't think that, I mean, this is a fundamental, so what Microsoft has said, speaking of, is it new, Microsoft says, basically, this is a feature. It's not a security vulnerability. Like, this is the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to have other applications that are, applications are supposed to be able to share. 20 years ago, if you went to Microsoft with something like this, yeah. the standard comment was, that's not a bug, that's a feature. feature. It's a feature. Say, but I don't see it anyway. It's an undocumented feature. It's, it's a vulnerability. Well, so here's the question, and you and I talked about this a bit yesterday. I, I think you set up the use case really well. I'm working on a spreadsheet. I need to keep one copy of it, so I'm just going to link that mm-hmm. information to my, my document. I've been in the business world for 20 years. I've never seen this. I mean, I've seen it, but it's not, it's not what I see as a common practice. So I think the question I have then is, is it a feature that people still want? Is it a, pe- is it a feature people are relying on? Is it a, well, that's the question that I believe enterprises are asking today, having spoken with some of those enterprises. Their concern is they don't know who's using it, who's using it. They don't know how they're using it. They don't know how often it's being used and how critical the function is that it's supporting. I love those questions. So like, when you don't know the answer to any of those questions... You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you're like, well, shit, if I turn it off... Yeah, people I might come know. screaming. I don't know and, what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like removing a module from the NPM library and shit breaks. Yeah. yeah. It's it's different from the Oracle and SAP question because you know that, well, that's very those critical. Those are business critical. Mm-hmm. Business We're critical. Like, those, we so know we've got to take yeah, care of it. We know that. This is a feature. It's an undocumented <laughs> we feature. We don't know. But, I mean, we don't really know how it, it works. And so then if you say to somebody who's using it, how, how well does that work? And then, you know, and, and the thing I'm thinking about now is the amount of collaboration that we have. Even, I mean, I think Google pushed a lot of people towards everybody can edit the document at once. And, and now, I mean, you can do that across if you have Office 365 or anything else. So I'm going to be curious then how much longer the DDE is, is even is necessary needed because you have other ways to be able to handle it. Well, the, the DDE also happens, I believe, in the cloud. It does. No, it does because there are things that are dynamically updated and included in G Suite documents across multiple spreadsheets, um, presentations, forms, the whole thing. So you're I'd also, I'd also mention no 365 does similar type of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, I was saying yeah. Google started it, but Office yeah. 365 now absolutely has it. It's not necessarily as clean, but that's, that, I mean, I guess that's, you know, and, that's, and, and then I think uh, what's kind of interesting when I look at it, because I do look at it a lot of times from a business lens is to say, okay, so is, do I need it? Yes or no? Because I actually kind of get the that's a feature. Is it being used the way we want it to? No. Uh, it's always worked this way. I mean, back in my days of teaching this SSP, we talked about all of these exact types of, this isn't new. Like this concept, the concept isn't new, right? This is, this is something that we've looked at. Then I look at it and I go, okay, I mean, we've had this conversation on this program about protocols and things that were developed 20, 30, 40 years ago. And knowing what we know today, would we develop them the same way? We'll know. Okay, cool. Well, let's go change it. Okay, well, uh, last time I checked, we, we haven't because 
we're so reliant on these things. So I think what's interesting, Paul, is, is as you pointed out, so do we know how often people are using it? Do we know uh, if they're dependent on it or not? Do we have an alternative to it? Mm. I I can't answer any of those questions and I right think, now. And I think even some of that is that whether or not anybody's using it, whether or not we rely on it, it's enabled by default. Mm. Am I correct? Okay, that's an interesting point. Uh, and I'm, ge- well, I'm guessing it, I don't and know And it's something positive. that the, the user is using, they really don't know they have this functionality. So my concern is even if, I go get the, there's Yara, Yara rules out there that can enable logging. There's ways to log, essentially, when this event occurs, whether it's malware or not. Uh, you can log when this event occurs. Even if I'm an analyst looking at those logs, like, I, I don't know if I turn this off, if that's going to impact someone. And how's it going to impact that person? If I go turn it off, even with some awareness that we're going to do this, the end user is going to be like, uh, even if you carefully craft the message, there's still going to be users that are like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Then you turn it off, and the next week they're like raising the alarm to yeah, their manager. Yeah, yeah. Nah, hey, my shit's broke. My process that I was doing that reports this that's in the way of us making money uh, is broken. And, and I don't know why it's broken because, well, I read that email, but I didn't think it applied to me. So now right. I don't know why it's broken. So now you've got all these people. It has a trickling effect. The manager's mm-hmm. calling up the, the director. The director's like, why is this broken? The help desk is involved. And they're like, I don't know why this is broken. They're not even going to admit to reading the email. They're going to say, yeah. somebody's going oh, to security that. and say, I sent it out. And they're going to go, I didn't get it. Right. And, and by the way, if, if we go read that email, it's going to say, well, due to the DDE vulnerability, and people are going, what the oh, hell is God, the DDE? DDE? Yeah, I don't know. Isn't that like a wrestling move they do? Yeah, like I, I got my flu shot. Doesn't that protect me? <laughs> <laughs> like, we have a firewall. <laughs> I'm good. I gave it the office. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I don't, I don't need that. Like, like, dude, like I've got a computer. Why do I need AOL? Like, well, and, and, and the new thing that's happened is that malware is like is well, yeah, ravaging this vulnerability. I mean... Like, a lot. Uh, droppers, exploits, and malware is actually in the same sentence in the, in the threat pull circle. <laughs> I, 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 I think not Kevin's got eyes just glazed over when you heard droppers and malware. <laughs> Let's do it, Kevin. I'm, I'm I want to uh, hear what you have to, to think. Well, what you th- uh, go, go ahead. Go. Talk. <laughs> I want to drink some more martini. As you guys are discussing this, I'm looking at Microsoft's recommendations about how to uh, reduce the impact of this. And it's... Um, it's a little out of control. Uh, <laughs> the, the the backwards compatibility aspect of this is that they're essentially saying it's not our problem, but we do offer what they sound really nice features like attack surface reduction component, which turns out to be all these PowerShell commands to disable things and, and uh, uh, <laughs> you'd think would be disabled by default. Um, turn, turns out no. Uh, maybe you want your, uh, your office applications to create child processes. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like a thing that Word should be doing. Uh, well, yeah. Making children? No, I don't want Word making yeah, uh, <laughs> i got enough of those to support already. Talking, uh, You've got enough. Right. I don't know. Downloading other executables? That doesn't sound like compatibility between Office and uh, Excel. Seems uh, legit. Uh, Seems legit. Totes. Yeah. <laughs> Totes legit. legit. <laughs> So, I mean, there are some recommendations that they do provide just to kind of round out. There are some things that you can turn off, uh, certain registry keys that you can uh, disable DDE entirely, uh, particularly with an Outlook. So there, but it's not a, it's not a thing that your average user is going to be able to do. These things are targeted at, you know, enterprise admins. They're not mom and pop who are the ones who are really being impacted by the the, the attacks that Paul is referring to particularly. These are coming through spam. They're coming through email attachments. They're coming through phishing attacks. And that's 
something an enterprise can at least has the resources to potentially handle, but that's not the people who are being impacted here. You know, mom and pop aren't using BDE to, to build Word documents. My advice for enterprises has been, if you're going to turn it off, and there are, as, as Kevin said, so there's two things you can do to turn it off. I haven't read Microsoft's advice uh, in any great detail. I've read some of the other posts that were published before today uh, about this, and basically there's two things. One, the registry keys, as, as Kevin mentioned, which will turn it off uh, entirely. What I've recommended enterprises do, similar to any kind of other patch, is start slowly rolling that out to your users and then see what breaks. That's not great advice is not a great approach well i'll tell you what's interesting about this and i i I was just trying to quick search we haven't talked to him yet on startup and i can't remember the name but there's at least one or two companies out there now it's essentially i mean we talked about whitelisting before there are technologies that exist that can run inline and it's almost like having it's almost like having an application layer proxy but what it does is they've gone through all of this and and they basically said oh okay so you want to use uh microsoft uh, the whole suite great what do you want it to do? And that way, if any, anybody sends it, so it, you can get fine-grained enough to say, you know what? You can go ahead. You can link Excel to Word mm-hmm. of, in our environment, but it cannot go out and it cannot come in. And what's really kind of neat is the way that it works is that it's essentially like you put a copy in here, it strips it all out, and it rebuilds it using its rule set. So what, what most of them do to move at line speed is they don't analyze it. So it's not a sandbox. I'm mm-hmm. not looking to see if there's any code in there. I'm, all I'm doing is I'm stripping it all down, and then I'm rebuilding it based on my rule set. So if my rule set says no inbound uh, linking, mm-hmm. then it just, it just pulls it out. Now, it does mean, yeah, it would be broken, yep. but, and, you know, and they can do it too across PDF. Like most of the common objects or any of the file types that we use – these, there's three or four companies, and a lot of it came out of, uh, at least the companies I've looked at came out of uh, Israel, and it's the same kind of a concept. Like, if you wanted to go into a secure installation, you know, you had a hand on the USB on one side or the CD or DVD on one side, and they would take it, literally destroy it, but then give you the clean copy on the other side. And as long as it passed through the rules, it was whitelisted, you were okay to have it. So what's interesting is, but Kevin said something I thought was, was really key, enterprises can pay for that. Enterprises that are concerned about this, there are solutions out there. Mom and pop shops? That's not... I don't see that being like a, a SaaS-style service. Now, the interesting thing is there is a third-party patch that you can patch the DLL that handles this, and it'll turn it off. Now, I caution enterprises not to do this. They don't do this. Bad things happen when you apply third-party patches. There's, like mm-hmm. What happens when there is a patch available? What happens when you patch that DLL? And it doesn't work. Now, the way I understand it, too, is if you modify that DLL, you're changing the signature of that DLL. What if AV eats it now because it has a different... It's not a clean, essentially, binary anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just... There's a whole list of whole reasons. Of, uh, test it. If you're going to do that, test it. <laughs> test it. You test remember, it, Larry? Test you, it. Oh, yeah. And, and others worked at universities, right? When mm-hmm. worms were running around. And sometimes they were running around and you didn't have a patch. And then sometimes be that third-party patch. And you're like, Yes! This will work. Then you're like, no, that's a bad idea. Yep. Don't we, do that. we then we've actually in many cases in in the last eleven, twelve, how many years, uh, have recommended the third party patches. Yeah. But on very, very, very limited rare. occasions, right. with lots of testing. Yes. So, do you find that when you get to the point where you make that recommendation, that the risk for that organization in their context is so high? Yes. It, it those trade offs are worth it, and and they have right. So if we carry over, they have the capabilities and the capacity to do that testing, to do that monitoring, mm-hmm. to pay attention to it. Yep. 
Well, I mean, and really the, the real issue here is um, you shouldn't allow users to click on malicious documents and you should stop email phishing. And then if you do that, I mean, you really don't have this problem then because the malicious documents never get inside your environment, right? And then, well, if they do, you've got uh, an EDR or some kind of endpoint product that when it does execute something, it detects it 100% of the time. Right? So we should All go that. back to paper and pencil is what you're saying. Just yeah, make it simple. Much. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Wow. Agreed. What, is, what was that? That was my phone. Sorry. Anyway, uh, anyone else more thoughts on the, the DDE uh, issue? No. I, I, I got one that I want to talk about. I, I just a quick poll. Yeah, yeah. How many people think that Microsoft will issue a patch for this? And if they do, how long do you think before it's issued? I don't think they'll issue a patch. I think they'll just offer the advice on how to disable. Yeah, it might become something in a policy configuration mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. something down the road. Kevin? Someone sent me a text message oh, that our, our YouTube stream is broken, just in case you're wondering. Okay, it's back up. That's what she said. Whoever texted me. I didn't recognize the number, but <laughs> someone Google hacked my cell phone. Someone hacked their way in the yeah. show. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Kevin, what do you think? Did that. I, uh, I agree with you all. I feel like there's going to be some esoteric configuration option that the people impacted by this are probably not going to understand when they're setting up Word or Excel for the first time. I think I want to put the a, unfortunate reality. I want to put a call out to all Microsoft customers, especially large ones, to push Microsoft to issue some kind of better fix for this vulnerability. Because if enough customers, you know what I compl- like it. Microsoft will release a patch when enough customers complain. Custom, customer, customer requirement, customer demand. But you know what? I, I at least like say, give us a solution. I think giving us a patch is too narrow. Show us. I mean, if it's a configuration, that's fine. And Kevin, to your point, make it a little bit more easy for us to understand. Right. And and then again, you know, I'd, I'd be curious too, and I'd be curious if Microsoft has usage insights onto it because yeah. then if you could turn some of this off by default, that'd be great. But what's kind of rolling in the back of my head is maybe this is used more ways than we know right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Larry, you had a you wanted to yeah, go somewhere. The, the story that I want to talk about was the "Don't Hack Back" mm. story. Because mm. I thought this was really kind of like very. Uh, mine was from Vice. Yep, mine too. Uh, um, so it was very the the title was very much doom and gloom. In that uh, Keith Alexander said, hey, you know, we're, we're relaxing the rules a little bit that may give you the ability to hack back and do so okay, but, but don't do that because you could start a war that way. I thought it was very interesting in the article that um, General Keith Alexander, former uh, director of the NSA, said, mm-hmm. <coughs> we can give Sony six... Talking about this in context, we're talking about what if Sony were to hack, back, hack back against North Korea? And his response is, essentially, we can give Sony six guys from my old place there, assuming NSA, yeah. uh, and they'd beat up North Korea like red-headed stepchild, <laughs> no pun intended. Oh, that was a pretty profound statement. I wanted to get everyone's thoughts mm. on that. That was just one of the, my takeaways from the article. <laughs> uh, I would um, tend to agree that that may, in fact, be possible. Um that said, think about what potentially North Korea's cyber, <laughs> I'm going to say it, cyber capability may actually be. And it's probably a hell of a lot better than many folks realize. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a bigger question. Do we generally dislike the concept of hack back? Or do we dislike the concept of somebody from a government perspective saying, you shouldn't hack back, only we should hack back? 
Like, is it that we... The, that's like, a, like exactly that what he said. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly what he said. Because, no, because I know. If, if so we, which, if we which hack part back, do we not if, like? If we, hack, if we, the government, hacks back and create a war, that's, well, that's, that's, okay. that's ours. But if Paul has this thing on his website because at securityweekly.com and it hacks someone back and they happen to be in North Korea and that starts a war, that's bad. That's bad. It's also a violation of the CFAA. Yeah. On when, whose part? When, when I do it. Yeah. Because I'm... I mean, someone attacks me... That could potentially violate the CFAA. If I hack them back, then I could be in violation of the CFAA. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But when the government does it in the protection of the, the country, in, in hopefully in collaboration and with some oversight, okay, maybe I'm stretching it a little ah, bit. You're, but yeah, you're optimistic. I like very that. optimistic. No, but so but my question is though, do you know at least from our perspective, are we okay with the concept of hacking back, or we're not okay with it? Right? Because there's two parts. There's the no, hacking back's okay, Michael. And, and there's the, well, hacking back's not okay. And gosh, when the government tells us not to do it, because only they could do it, right? Like it's a yeah. No, that's weird. I agree. Because it's I, also, I'm not. A, I'm not really a fan of it. I haven't seen a case where I think it's a good strategy. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, the trust in the government or, or don't really. Go I don't together. even but, I see. And I'm going to separate out. I don't even mean from a government perspective. I mean, this is stuff we've talked about for 20 years. And and I can you know in in 15 or 20 years ago it was. Are your forensics capabilities good enough to have certainty that that's exactly what happened, that you're going to go take action on somebody else? Mm-hmm. And are you good enough to be able to do that? And what other hell is going to rain down on you when you do that? Take for just a second the legality out of it. Don't worry about that for a yeah. second. And just go from Attribu- a practicality perspective, does this even make sense? Attribution well, is hard. It's, yeah, but it really mm-hmm. comes down to the quality of your intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think probably some of what General Alexander is saying is that our government agencies have much better intelligence much better intelligence to make much more intelligent Mm -hmm. decisions about what operations should be conducted against what Mm -hmm. countries based on intelligence you might observe or i might observe any of us observes an attack against us assumes that we know who to hit Mm -hmm. back mid-level enterprise observes an attack coming from afghanistan they go attack and not really from afghanistan Right, right. Exactly. That just happens to be the endpoint three exactly. layers deep, exactly from but, somewhere. But also, I I think that in in defending the country, you have to a lot of people have to make careful decisions about the severity of the attack and how the operation is conducted. In other words, in the physical sense, do I deploy a special forces or do I declare all out war or do I do something? In, be- in between there yeah, or but, on either and, extreme of that. And, and, that's, the, and that's the difference. So uh, to, to clarify from my perspective, I think in the commercial sector or in, in, the, in the civilian sector, I, I haven't seen a case where hacking back makes sense at all. I don't even care what you did before joining it. Like, that doesn't make sense. But if you're suggesting, you know, the, the government acting with cyber capabilities now, they've stood up all the new, uh, all the new capabilities. Uh, every branch has something... That's great. That's that's part of the war force. I, I'm okay with that. Right. That's if if you're doing that in the military or a government context, that's fine. I, I, or it's not fine. But to me, separate issue. When I see hack back, and then they use Sony as an example, I don't see any. I don't see any situation where I think a private sector company uh, should do anything other than defend itself successfully and you know focus on now, one of the other two thousand things you got to do. Gotti Evron came on the previous episode and talked about hacking back. In, in a much more uh, different context. And okay. really what we... Uh, go back and listen to that if you're listening to this now and, and want to know more. Uh, and basically what God is saying is... And what we all agreed upon was uh, it's the back piece 
that's bad. When I start to, or an organization starts to launch attacks back, that's bad. However, if someone has infiltrated computers within my own network, I own those computers and all of that property, I pretty much have free reign to do what I want on my own stuff. I'm good with that. Right? And, no, and that was really... And I like so that. what Gotti was advocating for is uh, to qualify that term hacking back in that I can take actions against an attacker. However, I have to live within the confines keep of the law. Keep it in the bounds. Right, and, and keep it in the bounds. Okay. Oh, we, and, and we drop what, a file that's got SS, social security numbers on it and they pull that down and yeah, it oh, contains there's, some, there's DD, some, D, some right. DDD exploits that wipes their system or something. Well, like. no, you can wipe your own systems. You can't go wipe the attacker's system. But I didn't wipe their systems. They pulled a file that was on my system. Is that that's a hackback? That's a gray area. That's, that's, a, that's a bad. Exactly. Because it's their property, not yours. Well, no, no. It, my, my property, my property gets hacked. I plant a file on my asset that gets hacked that is, in fact, something that no one should be touching. Like, because it has some vulnerability exploit, evil attacker grabs, oh my god, I got serial, yeah, I got social security I, numbers, and they I pull go, it. And, I go back oh. to the, the mining shack uh, in the hills of South Dakota, where I put all my mining stuff in it, uh-huh. and in the off-season, and if someone opens the door, there's a shotgun that blows them away. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, setting that's a lethal, considered bad. Setting a lethal, <clears throat> a lethal, a lethal mm-hmm. trap is how I, I put yeah. that. Yep. Okay. And that's why I throw that out there, because yeah. I want the discussion. Yeah. Yep. I, I would say... No. <laughs> you asking for a friend there? <laughs> no, no. No. All right. Uh, what what else do we got? We got a lot of other stuff to talk about too. Of course. Uh, so uh, some people are testifying in front of uh, Congress, including Marissa Mayer, and the <coughs> who was the Equifax CEO Smith and, in Senate, not Congress. Senate. Thank you. Um, it, it's a Senate committee hearing, essentially, right? right? As we've seen, and uh, who is it? The uh, Richard Smith also. And they're going to get grilled by Congress. I don't know. And that made the news. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, this is uh, just somebody saying, Senate. look at us. We took it seriously. And we, we brought those CEOs in. And we demanded they do something. And look at me. Vote for me. I care about cybers and the kids. And it's, uh, this is a complete waste of time. Nothing will come from this. I agree. Except, except lots of words. Lots of words, lots of waste of time and effort, lots of whatever. And it's, I, I, there's no value. I get, it I, might be kind of entertaining to watch. I don't think with Marissa Meyer it's going to be entertaining. No. Based on what we've learned about how it was or wasn't handled and how she has or hasn't done things, no. Um, we didn't. I, I wasn't on any of the programs. We discussed it. I, I think the way, the, and, and to be fair, I, I've only kind of read the reports of. I didn't watch the testimony. But I think the way that the Equifax CEO handled it was interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people got upset because he named, well, he didn't name names, but he he signed pretty discreet blame at different points and pe- people didn't think that was leadership at the same time if he just got up there and said well i mean you know that that happens it was sophisticated and unprecedented and you know like he he came in he had dates like he it, it somebody had at least prepared him to come in with a specific set of facts and i, I and you don't we think may or may so, not have liked that but someone in the senate committee is going to ask ridiculous questions that are going to be hilarious come on now okay you know what I wasn't thinking of it that way. That's what I'm thinking. Like I the mean, Guam is could an be, island that could well, tip over? They could be ridiculous educated questions, right? It, it, and they could be ridiculous uneducated questions which have a tendency to be way more entertaining. Yeah. Um, I, I'm in a serious mood. Like for me right now, that would be like 
somebody else is going to watch that, not realize the hilarity of it. Yeah, and but we re- will. That's what I'm saying. No, we should but, then, mm. but then you're going to have others now thinking those are the questions that they should ask. That's true. And it just gets more complicated for us. Now, I'd, I'd, All right. Anyway, next I, one. I don't, you, don't like you it. stole my... Th- I know, I'm sorry. You've got to be a fucking downer, yes. man. <laughs> Let's talk about Mr. Robot. Yeah. Did you... <laughs> Admit it, no. Or admit, not. Admittedly <laughs> so, I, I think there are a lot of people in our industry that don't watch it anymore because they think it's boring. Yeah, I, that's why I stopped watching. I'll admit, I stopped watching it when they had pretty much... It was almost like an entire season where they really didn't talk much about hacking. Mm. Does and, anyone remember that? But you know, but you, yeah, but you like, know, I, but you I know what? I, it's been, I think it's been a season or so. I'm a season behind or so because I do that and we binge watch. Um, but you know what? It, for me, that's okay. Because I still think it's quite entertaining regardless of whether the fact it's about hacking or not or is a geopolitical thing or it's because the story is well written there's lots of television that would argue that i watch on tv that is probably a lot of folks consider crap but i enjoy the entertainment yeah so that's why i still watch it because i think it's entertaining do you watch the orville no that's yeah i find that much better than mr robot right now in okay. fact <laughs> especially if you're a star, star trek fan um so in Mr. Robot, uh, the uh, Elliot character uh, mm-hmm. does the name drop of Dave Kennedy, pretends to be Dave Kennedy in a yep. social engineering. It was, Dave uh, was so excited about this, was. dude. Did you see how excited he I was? He was so excited. I mean, I could smell it from here. Love Dave. Could, <laughs> I could. I could smell Dave's excitement from a mile away. Uh, also, Moxie Marlin Spike was, uh, was mentioned in the episode. So Really? I, didn't watch cool. the, I haven't watched the episode, and I only watched that one scene. Uh, just because Cause I want to say what Dave, Dave, want to say what Dave's excitement right. was about. Yeah, he sits down in the meeting and like totally <laughs> social engineers them. And who are you? Oh, I'm Dave, Dave Kennedy. Kennedy. I work with Greg. He was re- we were responsible for the Q4 push. Yeah, and they yeah. said something about having long hair. Which is yeah, funny. I had longer hair back then. Well. <laughs> <laughs> just like Santa. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> like yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, still, still pretty damn cool. Good, uh, and uh, of course, I-, I loved some of the Facebook posts that Nick- Chris Nickerson said, "Dude, like TV is not a badge of honor." <laughs> 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 and then uh, Dave responds back with, "Dude, I still watch your show all the time. In fact, I ask other people to watch your show all the time." <laughs> it's like <laughs> touche, touche. Tiger team for the win. Tiger team for the win. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, well, look, I just skimmed this hacking the fingerprint biometric one. Um, so, is it hacking? So, Paul, you're right there, and let's say you're using a, a, a fingerprint biometric, and you fall asleep, and I take your thumb and press it on the phone. That's hacking now. Ah, that gum, feels like a misleading headline to me. Gummy bears. I mean, what? No. <laughs> well, no, gummy bears to me would be hacking it. Yeah. This is simple. Man fell asleep. Woman took his thumb, put it on the phone, unlocked it, discovered he was cheating on her. And then lost yeah, her mind know, and forced you know, the plane to fall, like land. Like that I, doesn't feel like hacking like, to me. That sounds like password reuse to me. Well, no, I think it's simple. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's hacking if you're using something as it's not intended to be used. His thumb was intended to be the. In, yeah, he was the. But it wasn't intended to be asleep. It, it wasn't intended to be used by someone else. So right. this shows you the distinction between authentication and identification. It was it was sneaky. It, 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 it was, was sneaky. sneaky. Yeah, I just I I didn't like the headline. That's all. Um, would would this be considered unauthorized access? Yes. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's point. That's exactly right. Right. Point. So it's identity. It's identification, authentication, uh, authorization. 
It was authenticated. We presume foolishly that biometrics also include identification, and clearly mm. they don't. Uh, and and yeah, t- completely unauthorized. And now, and now my question would be, prove it. Yeah, I th- mm. great prove it. Great point. Pro- prove that it was unauthorized. That's true. Yeah, where where's I mean, where literally where's think, the audit, where's the audit trail that I, said that he didn't authorize? It? I well, think technically this is, he did. This is as much yeah. hacking as the the story I'm about to tell. Yes, I please do. I won't say where this came from, but someone told me about um, husband and wife, and the the husband was cheating on the wife, and the wife found out because the husband was texting what he thought was texting back and forth with the mistress. However, didn't realize how Apple iMessages worked. Showed up on and the iPad. All right? of the messages were showing up on the iPad. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, I think, the similar hacking. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to call that <clears throat> hacking, then, wow, mm-hmm. gosh, we, we've got a lot of stuff that we would call hacking. I just, <laughs> I, I, get, I get nervous with those uh, things. Dude, can you I'm hack a my. I'm professional my... hacker then at that point. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. Right. I've been hacking since I was three. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you guys read what happened with a, a Twilo? Oh, what now? App developers who code using the Twilo cloud-based platform are forgetful about removing their hard-coded credentials and basically allowed everyone to eavesdrop. Uh, I don't use Twilio. Twilio? Twilio. 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 Is it, which is, is Twilio? Twilio? What is Twilio? Twilio? I think it's Twilo. Twi- Twilio? I've heard of I it. thought it was Twilo, too. It, is, here, the, is the eavesdropper vulnerability exposes mobile call text data? Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm thinking of Trello. No, it's Twili- Twilio. Twilio. It's Twilio. Twilio is a cloud communications platform built for SMS voice and messaging applications and an API built for global scale. Mm. Forgetful about removing their hard-coded credentials. This is not, this is <laughs> this not is, a new problem. Uh, no. This is also not a vulnerability. No. Correct. This is, this, is, this is... Well, no, it's a vulnerability, and there's a patch for it. There's a patch for human stupidity. Oh, stop, Larry. <laughs> There. All right, there's a there's a patch for there is. Well, let's go simpler, right? Yeah. This Can is, you share this, this is, patch this is with a, us? This is a QA. F- this is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one time application. Yes. This is a, that's a denial of service attack, not <laughs> a patch. This is a testing breakdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I've I've talked to a number of folks that tell me that there's a point in in the the process where this makes things go better. Great. And they always promise we'll remove them. So we say they're forgetful about it. They're not forgetful about it. It means there was no process in place. There's no discipline following it. There was no QA check. This wasn't yeah, something that they tested for. How do you build in QA checks for credentials into your into your system? How do you know what credentials look like? How do you know? I'm not enough of a developer, but I can tell you about enough projects where I can tell you how many hard-coded passwords we have. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a way to do it. I'm not smart enough, but everybody knows that. If you're watching, you know I'm not here because I'm smart. I don't even because you're good looking. I, Is it good looking? So I should, know, I, should no, I slide over a little it. bit? I was gonna say, I've got a face built for radio, man. <laughs> but I, I think it's more of a. See, I've got a I've got a face for radio and a voice for text. But I think it's more it's more of an, an awareness and training issue at, at the core of it, right? As the developer. I know in my applications, because I have the security mindset, like I know that these passwords and these secrets, if they're misused or I know if I'm misusing them, I know that that's bad and I'm developing a plan to fix that. If there are developers that don't have the security mindset, they may put a uh, secret key inside of a text file 
And then it's very, very easy for that to end up in your software version control or very easier for that to end up in a place where someone could yeah, read Yeah, look, it. I agree. I, I think it's, I, we could call it a, a, a poor coding practice or certainly not what we'd call well, a good coding practice. Well, it's not even a, it's not a, co- it's not even code. It's not even code. But it's, it's a architect- practice it's architecture. of coding. Yeah, it's oh, architecture. Okay, I completely agree with yeah. that. But then, you I can have the most secure code in the world, but if... Yeah, okay. I'm calling I, an API and I'm storing those keys and they're just they're they're like there. The thing that I find when I go look at this is so and I'm looking at Twilio's response and I go, "Hold on, you know, we tell people not to do this." Yeah, no. So here's what's probably happening and I have no inside knowledge of it in this particular situation, but here's what typically happens. Don't do this. By the way, your deadline is in 3 days. Well, I don't have what Okay, well, do what you got to do. Just take it out when you're done. And and that's so it's it's this whole they forgot when we told them not to, but they're still doing it because they don't listen. But hey, we we made our quarterly deadline, so it's a it, it's a it's a combination of architecture and practices, but it's also it's that pressure. So the, it's we but it, we I mean, blame it, it, it on, it, on is Jeff is Jeff still on? We blame it on developers. Jeff, you there? But I don't think we need to. Oh, okay. I, was wow. just, I mean, this is a crypto problem, right? I mean, well, yeah, because basically your keys are just hanging out there for everyone. So blockchain to read. is the answer. Yeah, Go. but you, you don't know. It's not even blockchain. Right, isn't that but, the new PCAT? To, no, blockchain? but you don't, don't get me started on blockchain right now. <laughs> don't get me started. I think this is one of the emerging uh, kind of uh, thing in our field that we're going to see more and more as we get more agile with development, excuse the pun, um, that we don't, uh, developers and security people alike don't realize the, the need and how bad the problem is of protecting these secrets and keys and, and how that is now scaling out. And there are companies that are providing solutions. However, we as security people and developers largely, in my assessment, aren't going, hey, you know, I have this problem where I'm trying to protect all of my keys and like, I just can't. Because, well, you got like 99 you said, problems. Where does this fit? Right. That's the problem is you have 99 of them. Right, and then, and I, I'm not and then I use then I, and a key a, a key is definitely one definitely. of them. And then right. I use dead knock, and now uh, now I've got a hundred problems. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and it's uh, a, it's a problem that I have with our with our own app, which is one one of the reasons why I, I like developing our own app because I can get in tune with these problems, and I'm like, wow. And the, the interesting part is when we talk to vendors, like Michael and I, and, and many of us do all the time, we come across ones, and I'm like. Yes, I have that problem. Like, why don't more people realize that they have the problem and go seek out these vendors and solutions? And well, some have, of them have a really I have a elegant little, solution. I have a little bit of an answer to that. Maybe not so much in the development side, but I'll tell you, there's, there's a bunch of folks doing that privileged identity management or the privileged access management mm-hmm. space. And when you listen to them start to talk about it, right? And you did the webcast earlier today with Jonathan Sander. There's times Jonathan and I have sat and talked about this, and I'm like, but and he's like, no, you got to think about it this way. And solid stuff and you're like wow you follow up and you go well how come more people aren't doing it he's like well and i don't mean to put words in jonathan's mouth but when you start looking at it well who has the keys right now okay and so you're going to say hey by the way i have the keys and you totally shouldn't trust me so i want to go put this other infrastructure in place no because you say well i've got 99 problems and i'm pretty trustworthy and paul i like you you're trustworthy and larry i don't i don't actually trust you so paul you can have the keys mm-hmm. um and and we're good to go and and so what happens is it's a you know why don't we have more of it because the people who are aware of it say that's a problem but i've got all these other problems and you know what I, we're a team this isn't going to be a problem for us those other people oh totally problem for them they should be all over that but us no i think we're good and i think that's what happens it's, it's we did that, an interview with someone on this problem do you remember 
Uh, who was the person's name? The woman from Conjure. Oh, um, Lawler. She was awesome. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Lawler. Lawler? I think it was Lawler. Uh, yeah, well, she was an awesome. awesome interview. Yeah. But it was exactly on this problem. Yes, yeah, a couple weeks ago. And, start, like they, and they have Security an op- weekly. They have an open source solution to this problem. Yeah, exactly right. And, yeah. Yeah, and in fact, right, so if you get, if you get a chance to check out that interview, uh, it was really kind of cool because what we talked about was a company that was a startup, and then they got acquired by CyberArk, and they went to CyberArk and said, hey, you know what? We always wanted to do this piece as open source to better the industry. We haven't had a chance. What do you think? And they went, yeah. Let's do it. Let's roll it. So they went from commercial, and they're still a commercial solution, but they said, you know, we yeah. found a really cool way it was episode, to solve this. Episode 58 of Startup Security Weekly, Elizabeth Lawler from Yeah, you're in for a Art. treat. She's, she's great. She's awesome. She's awesome. Uh, it yeah. was a great interview. Yep. And on this exact problem. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I added it, because I'm like, yeah, yeah think, this problem think, keeps coming up over and over think again. Think about it, too, right? So then it, what we're saying is that to, to make something happen, you have to be aware of the problem. You have to understand the impact of the problem. You have to know that there's a solution to the problem, and then you have to be able to evaluate potential options to solve that problem to determine if they work in your environment, but you have and to then communicate that to somebody else. The depth of that problem, like how, yeah, that's how the, many places? And that's the impact. That's how many impact. places do I have this problem? And that's I, I think with this particular issue isn't always apparent. Like no, yeah, I have a config file and it's got these like secret keys in it and stuff. But I don't understand that that's even a problem. And I don't, how do I identify all my applications that might have this problem? It's weird. How do you protect your secrets? It's really the question. I get it because I, I have this problem in a big way. Well, I think it's going to continue. I mean, I, I, I think that we see different versions of this manifested in consistently different ways. And so whereas a lot of people almost feel despair at this, I, I think that we will start to see solutions. I think that the problem is we don't understand the problem. And so as a result, Mm -hmm. it sounds good. We can talk about it. And it's still a lot of ships passing in the night or whispering past or whistling past the graveyard. And instead, I think what will start to happen is people will get it and they'll find the use case. And then somebody else go, Oh, well it's like that one. Oh, well we got to do something about it. Well, it's like that. Oh, and and I, I I think we're going to get there. You know, a lot of times in security, we're really good at looking at the downside of risk, but we're not always good at understanding where it fits into the total risk basket. And and so in in our slice, it's not, this is, I, I don't know, you guys tell me where, if I had to rank 100 things just in the cybersecurity world, where would this be? Top, middle, bottom. It, it that depends on the organization. It depends yep. on the application, the criticality, of the business, <clears throat> yeah. or your I, product. I think it's right? all fair point, right? Yep. So okay, every so, every business is in fact a unique snowflake. Although there are some unique snowflakes that some, are very similar some, to others. Yeah, and some are more <laughs> unique than others. Yeah, some are some are less unique than others. But but so so now I've got that that challenge and that issue. I have to figure out who to trust. I have to figure out how to explain it. I have to figure out how to evaluate the solutions. And then I've got a limited amount of budget, and I have to figure out where that goes. Mm. I mean, it's it's not going to be a challenge in the short run to find things that don't work well. That said, I, I'm liking the fact, Paul, that we're highlighting uh, things that do work well. I like good examples. <laughs> you know, I, you, you said you said that question that is weird right now for me. Uh, you said, "Who do I trust?" And I'd argue, trust no one, trust everyone, and trust a select few. And I only say that just because I am in the middle of reading. Hmm. George Orwell's 1984. Yep. Mm. 
again since high school. It's been twenty plus years, and it is very much that same sort of thing in that there's this three tiers of society. There's the inner party, the outer party, and then the proles. And they trust the proles implicitly. They trust everyone. But the inner party, the outer party is like, trust no one because if they do something bad, they're... Mm-hmm. And the inner party trusts a select few. They trust the inner party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also thought of Batman, weird. like the 1988-89 Batman. Jack Nicholson is Joker. Who do you uh-huh. love? Who do you love? All right, no. sorry. It's where my um, so town needs an enema. This next uh, this next story is kind of interesting, and it kind of begs the question: Are we are we too hard on people who are convicted of computer did crimes? Did you say hard on? Are we- <laughs> he did. I was going to talk about going straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Cut to Kevin. <laughs> Take over. Oh. We ask the hardest questions in security. It's, uh, <laughs> Man, all right. That's so, so what would you do? Do we punish too harshly, or are we too uh, lenient on those that commit computer crimes? Sean mm. Tiernan, twenty nine of Santa Clara, California, was sentenced uh, to two years probation, but no prison time for involvement in a spam uh, spam botnet. His lawyer, who was successful and obviously a pretty good lawyer. Um, the, their client deserved leniency for several reasons. Um, one, when the FBI raided his home, he was completely cooperative and immediately confessed. Did everyone get shot? Um, and a year later, confessed to the Can Spam Act violation. Um, while and it also said that damage caused by the botnet was real, it was relatively minor. It didn't steal financial data. It didn't extort them. The malware is easily removable. And it only collected IP addresses, which courts no longer consider to be private data. Uh, they noted the spam traffic generally was advertising was just advertising, not malware laden. Um, and they are uh, obviously leniency because it was just a kid when he got involved. Um, by 2011, he was into his 20s, eligible to drink, vote, rent a car, execute contracts, and all the adult privileges, which seem to make him ineligible to claim adolescence as his defense. The article states. Um, now the lawyer said he intends to go straight. He's enrolled in a cybersecurity graduate program, uh, and on his way to getting a job. Some people say it reflects a gross lack of awareness and understanding by the judge of incidents and the harm that they cause. They then go on to quote examples of Kevin Mitnick, um, former LawSec member Mustafa Al-Bassam, uh, as well as the infamous, uh, Cebu. Yeah. Kevin, I want to get your your take on this. I, this uh, this has always been a tough topic. Um, I mean, if you kind of look back at the the, the history of, of the internet in particular, uh, it's definitely been a, a sliding scale when it comes to leniency. And the earlier cases of teenagers going to prison for accessing a system, when the understanding of what that is, uh, maybe out of been is is. Uh, is at a high standard as we have now. The fact that judges are giving leniency seems like it's kind of shifting in a, in a different direction. Uh, is that the right answer? I don't know. Uh, some of these cases, you know, have definite context to them. And the, the direct ones being quoted here saying this person didn't really cause that much harm in the grand scale. But and then you kind of go backwards. Teenagers do really stupid stuff. Uh, now that they just have access to the literal entire world, uh, and as we've been discussing, 
over the last couple of hours and every single show, uh, software is really terrible, security is really hard, and now a teenager can buy an exploit kit online for a couple of bitcoins and wreck a lot of uh, a lot of systems. Uh, do they understand what they're doing? Most likely not. Uh, they're they're kids. No, Kevin, Should they be go to prison? I, I don't know. I mean, this is yeah. This no, Kevin, is really help challenging. me out. What they didn't highlight, which I think is interesting, um, and and somewhat as part of I think really uh, poor journalism, um, are the and there's two cases that come to mind, and now I can't remember the people's names, and I should, and I apologize to all of our listeners because I'm just having a complete mental blank. But um, who was the very outspoken uh, hacker that did the the Apple thing and, and downloaded the Weave? Thank you. So there was Weave who you could argue was persecuted very, very strongly uh, in, in his case. And then there was the, who was the other very, very smart, uh, brilliant young person that uh, downloaded the materials from the, the unit. Yeah, from MIT. What was his name, Kevin? You, you, uh, you know. What was it? Andrew Schwartz. Yes, yes. Andrew Schwartz, who then committed suicide. Um, mm. and, and those are two very, I think, extreme cases that weren't brought up in this article. It represents the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and kind of an aside note, like I think that's some of the problems with journalism is you can bring up facts that support one argument or the other, or the other and not sure. present both sides uh, for people, which yeah. is why I like doing these shows because we have a discussion about it and, and try and present all, all sides of it. So try, try, I will say, we try, try we do our best, right? Yeah. Who's interesting? Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say that we've discussed this a few times before about the the technical challenges of, of the legal system, yep. and and this could be an example of that. Uh, a lot of these uh, stories are, are becoming very widespread in the last ten years. People are actually hearing about attacks that are impacting your home, particularly ransomware, malware, and going right back to the the DDE example before. Uh, you know, is it is it a good thing that, that these things are happening? No. Is it a good thing that uh, judges uh, in the legal system are starting to give some of the the younger participants in these avenues to put obviously that the the fact that they're very bright to to better uses that 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 is a good thing. But it, it is kind of a catch twenty two because there's always going to be you know bad apples, and uh, I, I'm not sure. Just saying, you know, you're a kid. Uh, good luck next time is is the right right approach to this yeah, at the same f- time. To be fair, when I looked at this, I, you know, when I read some of the, the stuff around it, I didn't see it as, oh, well, you're a kid, so you're you're off. What they said, and, and I know it's going to piss a lot of people off, was there wasn't a lot of harm here. Yeah, you there did, wasn't you da- didn't enough steal damage. Data, you, didn't yeah. really do, you didn't do damage. And so what's interesting is that there are the technical challenges of the legal system, but there's also the way our legal system was, was uh, the common law system was designed to evolve. So the problem that we tend to highlight is is you take any number of the laws that we have in order to prosecute crimes like this, and there's a lot of prosecut- prosecutorial discretion. Mm, and so if yes. you get somebody who wants to make a name for themselves, you're going to go to one end of the spectrum. If you have somebody else who isn't particularly sure or wants to look at it differently, you go to the other end of the spectrum. What's starting to happen now, too, and you, know, you bring up a really interesting point, Kevin, in that the awareness now of something like ransomware or the awareness of botnets is probably higher in the general population than it's ever been. But even in, in the wake of Equifax, every time I see one of these headlines that says, was it now, 143 million people have had their identity, their identity compromised? No, you haven't. No, stop. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, 
and it hasn't been compromised 10 times already? I mean, show me that you got harm from this particular breach as opposed to one of the two or 300 others that you know about before it or otherwise. And so what we've seen in some of these class action suits is, and, and again, this is still not clear, where's the harm? And, and do you have the burden to demonstrate harm? And do you have to pinpoint it on somebody specific, or is there a general take on it? And some of the courts have gone one way, and some are going the other way. Mm-hmm. So when this one comes down and they say, look, there's not a lot of harm, and in fact, he, I mean, he was, it looks like he was essentially just running ads and making money so he could go to school. Um, judge kind of looked at that and went, okay, right way to do it. No, but... What's your... Uh was your intent good? Yeah. Well, and, and we've talked well, intention about intention matters. It, it does. We've mm-hmm. talked about intent before, mm-hmm. and, and, and none of us are lawyers, but intent definitely plays into it for sure. When you when you look at uh, police for an offline, you know, if, if there are a bunch of communities where there's no soliciting, uh, especially where where I where I worked as an EMT in New Jersey, and and so I used to talk to the police, and I'd say, well, how do you decide then whether to stop somebody and say, you know, sir, ma'am, there's no soliciting in this neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I don't know why you're here versus not and they said well it we look for intent so well, right. how the hell do you measure intent they right. said well we, we have to guess um and and that's always sorted out with a quick trip to the station we have we have a chat and if we're wrong good to go and if we're right well then we have a different direction with it and it's it, this is so what we find then is that there's the harm so, so the prostitutes looking, the prostitutes looking to put themselves through school are okay but the ones just Trying to score crack? That's a, that's a no, because point, the, oh wait, wrong yeah. solicitation. Yeah. Wrong solicitation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. Depends Sorry. on whether they're going to the mayor's house, right? Or what? But then oh, let me throw a curveball in this. As this, you, you bring up a really interesting. Point. Uh, what about the the cases of of kids in high school or yep. college mm-hmm. who are changing their grades? And how how can how can that be looked at from from an intent standpoint? If they're not harming the society or the greater world, but there are cases where people are, you know, the book is thrown at them. They're yep. kicked out of school. Their yep. life is ruined. They potentially can go to prison. Well, I, and let me, let me just build on that because I actually, uh, I've, talked about that I've advised on some too. of these cases, so yeah. I think that they've been interesting, but, but with kids in, in school, it's fascinating. Uh, one of my, one of my kids' friends, um, the got caught, got suspended from school for two or three days and and uh, and there were uh, assault charges filed. Another kid was was mocking him. He slapped him. Uh, and uh, and the way the school handles that now is okay. You're suspended. You're suspended. Cops are called. And I, I said, wow. I mean, in our day, that got settled. Mm-hmm. There were apologies. And you went on with. It. You didn't get a police record. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing, Kevin. It's the you know there there's a and it's and it's I'm not liking it. There's a kids are going to be kids, and at some point. It's not acceptable, but then at the other point, it's a, so we're going to throw you out, ruin your life, and you can never do anything again? Um, I mean, if, if you, wow. if, if someone cheats on a, cheats on a test, you know, there, there could be a, you know, the metaphorical slap on the wrist, right? right? But if someone accesses the grades database and changes their grade, uh, ostensibly the same end result, uh, potentially, of cheating on the test, they could theoretically get kicked out or go to jail well so uh, no so now do you see then you that's know a great, that's, a, that's a great point well uh, i want to extend it one one bit because we we have seen cases where executives get fired because they misrepresented their educational work history and it goes uncovered you know it gets uncovered it, it it's covered up for a long time and then one day somebody does a check and says, you didn't actually graduate from this school like you said you did and you mm-hmm. didn't actually do these things but they don't typically go to jail they just get fired mm-hmm 
and possibly disgraced. And so, you know, I think I think you've got a good point, Kevin, in that th- there is we need to allow the opportunity for mistakes to be made and and regret to be expressed and remorse to be expressed and corrective action. And I'll tell you, when you look at just human nature, uh, that's an area that we uh, there's dozens of books on it. And they're fairly similar, and it always comes down to a, yeah, it kind of depends on the context. And that's the way that the courts tend to look at things. And so this, is, this will settle itself out. It's just going to take time. Because these are the, but these are the questions that we have to ask. And, and so, mm. you know, as, as you said, Kevin, is there clarity on it? No. The thing that I always go back to, and I might get this wrong. I'm trying to remember back freshman psychology. I think it was a sociologist named Gibbs. I could be wrong on that. It could be Gibson. It was something along that. And he talked about that. Are you punish- think like Gibbs from like NCIS? Well, that's, and that's where I wonder Gibbs. now if I may have uh, slightly <laughs> modified. Been a crossing of the stream. It's one of the 11s. Uh, it's one of his rules. Like, right? Gibson, rule number, rule like number Gibson 11. from Hackers. The yeah, or Gibson the, like playing a guitar. Gibson, thinking yeah, about- yeah. Anyway, the idea was from a sociological perspective, if you look at punishment as a deterrent, it only works if there's a certainty of getting caught there's a certainty of the outcome of the punishment, and it's, it's meted out within a, a pretty rapid time space. And, and basically, our justice system doesn't really rise to any of those particular levels. So I, I think the counter question to start to explore, which is almost as uncomfortable as, does any jail time, does any of this stuff actually act as a deterrent for somebody? Depends on the person. Like, it's, it's almost like, a, are we thinking about this the right way? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it, I mean, it would be a deterrent for me because I'm too good looking for prison. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a good time though. Larry. I, I look, I look bad in orange jumpsuits. That's, orange is not my color, and I'm too good looking for prison. That was a Mike Poor comment, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When speaking of ethics in in hacking, yeah. to put that in, in context, exactly. which we, we've talked about in uh, having a, a conference that was largely geared towards. Uh, those in the um, uh, Cyber Patriot program. And uh, someone did bring up during the conference, you know, hey, we're teaching these kids about hacking. You know, what if they use it, it for, for bad instead of good? And how do we educate not just the students about ethics, but also the educators right. Uh, right. about what the correct, to Kevin's point, what the correct form of punishment is for this particular behavior to understand not just the technical details, but I, Kevin, I think, made the, the, a really great point. If you're cheating on a test and you're cheating by uh, hacking into your grades, it's, it's really the same behavior. Right. But I, yeah. I, I agree. I feel like they're punished more severely because it was hacking involved. And how is, that any, how is that any different? So I think the lesson here moving forward, as we want to do more in this uh, community especially, um, is to educate the students, of course, to, to do ethics, but also educate the educators to understand this problem and uh, us as the security community guide both the students and the educators and, and allow them to learn in a safe environment. Be like, dude, you don't have to prove your uh, you know, hacking skills by hacking your grades, right? Don't act unethical by cheating, which is a lesson outside of, uh, of security. But if you need a safe place to do that, there's lots of places to do that. In fact, there's probably right. thousands of people listening to the show now that would raise their hand and say, yeah, I would stand up a lab for, yep. for, yep. for kids to play yep. around in and learn security. Well, yeah, and you know, there's an interesting point, too, and it's that intersection of ethics and legality. You, you can do things that are not ethical that are legal, mm-hmm. and you can, you can do things that are ethical and actually, in some cases, illegal. Yep. And so what happens then, too, is that ethics is it's not finite. It's, um, 
it's almost like a bell curve distribution. And for some people, the standard deviation is a little wider than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. and so what you're saying then is that as an industry, or I would even say as a community, we need to do... We need to keep having these conversations so that we can more clearly define the boundaries and where you're into those gray areas and where, where you go from there. And then that, over time, starts to influence what becomes reasonable security and, and starts to influence then some of those legal aspects to it. But, Paul, I, I really like the idea of being able to say, I, I think if we could get more involved in our communities and say, I'll set up a lab, I'll help with the CTF, I'll mm-hmm. help host these competitions – uh, I think we solve a lot of problems, and I would open that not just to the students. I'd open it to anybody. And, yeah. you know, we see a lot of hacker spaces and maker spaces that are doing that very thing, and they're letting families come together and check some of the stuff out, and there's no quicker way to demystify it. And if you look at any mm-hmm. of the stuff that's happened, I mean, I, I like the Cyber Patriot program a lot. If you look at the way that um, the National Guard yep. does stuff. Well, yeah, they were there at our yeah. conference. Okay, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so if you look at like... They're, they're called the live fire range, right? Well, yeah, yeah, if you look at their cyber shield exercises, mm-hmm. they bring the guard units in, which is a great chance for the guard units to try it, but they bring in their commercial partners. And so what's cool then is that they're really testing out, okay, well, how do we work with the fusion cell? How do we go talk to the lawyers? How do we talk to the commercial lawyers? And what's great is the companies that get involved, they take it really seriously. Well, then where you go from this... Is, is the executives come in, they have a typically what they call DV Day, Distinguished Visitors Day, and the executives come in and they ask questions and they get to see it. And that's why we like this live fire range. They get to see this is what the red team's doing, this is what the blue team's doing. They get to tour, they get to ask questions, and suddenly they go, whoa, uh, have we done this in our organization? So I, I think that's the answer for a lot of this stuff. I think the answer is let's ask these questions, let's make this stuff available for people, let's pull these things together, and, and then... In that, we can have a better conversation about ethics and a better conversation about legality because now they've seen it. They've experienced it. They've, they've seen what it's like, and I think that's a lot better. Stealing is wrong is what I'm, We're sharing. What I'm saying. That's sharing. That's sharing, not stealing. Right. Well, sharing without permission is stealing, I guess. Uh- <laughs> We're so close. You have my permission. That's, there you go. It's implied. Nice. Well, Michael, Larry, and Kevin, I don't know what happened to Jeff. I hope everything's okay. He, he dropped off. I'm not the sure beginning of the happened. segment. Not sure what happened. Um, but hopefully Jeff's okay. Uh, not Kevin, uh, especially, dude. Nice to have you back. Uh, appreciate you being back on the show and especially appreciate your insights, uh, especially some of these stories we talked about. So I always love oh, talking about Kevin. Back. And if, I, uh, if I drop off again, look for the ninjas. They've kidnapped me. That's right. That's right. Don't get kidnapped by ninjas again. We want you back. Well, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching this edition of Paul Security Weekly. Larry, as always, take us out. Over. And out. Can't do it with this hand. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't go that way, does it? It does, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>